All right. A week later, um, and things are interesting. Um, I was talking with you guys last Sunday. Um, and we were talking about all sorts of different things. That was a longer episode, too, because as I'm always saying, you know, um, when I started this show back in October 2021, um, I always joked that it was hard to fill an hour for the show. Now it's legitimately a challenge to um, keep the show under like an hour and a half, two hours even. Sometimes it's crazy. And especially this week, um, I mean, there is news in the ecosystem for sure, um, you know, about new updates, some exciting things. But also, too, um, this week is a little bit of a special report because um, there was something that happened in the Hedera ecosystem that's never happened before that I think um, has ended an era in a way, and started a new era. I think that um, for the longest time um, in the Hedera community, I'd get into conversations with folks from other networks and everything. And there was always this kind of elephant in the room, right? Where um, it, you would, you know, as someone on Hedera, you'd always be asked the question, hey, you know, you you guys will have your, you know, your big moment soon, right? You guys will have your OK Bears moment or your, um, you know, your uh, network outage, that kind of thing. We hadn't really had something major like that happen yet in that way that was so visible to the broader ecosystem. Um, and that was always something I, I think in the back of my mind, and I think in the back of a lot of people's minds, because for the longest time, never having had that happen, it was kind of an elephant in the room. And you kind of felt like there was something, you know, hanging over our heads a little bit because no matter what technology you're using, you're always going to have some kind of exploit to various degrees. And, you know, this is a DLT. And when you're connecting out to other networks, the um, possibilities for these kinds of things increase. And that's part of the growth of Hedera, um, bridging to other networks. And this, you know, something happened. And now when I'm doing the show tonight, um, I, you know, in Ottawa, Canada, live, I it definitely feels like we're in a new era of this ecosystem, of this community, of Hashgraph as a technology. Um, and there's definitely, um, I wouldn't say division, but there's definitely um, talks of how to reach compromise on certain things. But in the big picture understanding that this is something that networks go through, right? This is some of that scar tissue that um, certain protocols and um, systems have to build up through things like this to become a fully fledged enterprise network. You could even look at situations like AWS, Amazon Web Services and different stuff like that. Um, and of course, to other crypto networks, right? So I think that the question is, is it better now than later? That's something I've heard a lot of people talk about and something that's on my mind too. But we've got a lot to get to today. Like I said, we've got you know a bunch of news stories and everything um, to talk about. We'll kind of do that at the end to wrap things up. 
But the meat and potatoes of this show is talking about the precompile exploit slash attack on the Hedera mainnet um, over the last, you know, few days that's since been fixed. Um, and what I've done is I've, you know, put together a bunch of research and everything so we can kind of break down exactly what happened and when and get a bit of a, 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 a clear picture um, about what's happening. And this spaces isn't about speculation um, or good news or bad news. This is just about what happened. Can we get it all together? Um, make it digest- digestible, talk about it um, and maybe see if we can learn some stuff and navigate this new era of the network. Um, so I couldn't think of anyone better to have on the show um, this week other than uh, Justin, CEO of Pangolin Dex, um, who was really on the front lines with a lot of this. Um, so uh, Justin, it's awesome to uh, to have you on the show. Um, and just wanted to say like, you know, I hope you had a little bit of time to rest up and recharge and everything like that. Um, how have things been been uh, for you guys um, since uh, the main nets come back online? Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, yeah, things are, are slowly starting to calm down. Um, when Mainnet went live, it was uh, unexpected. We, we didn't really get uh, a lot of notice um, that it was going live. So it, 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 it can be quite challenging because what you got to understand is we have engineers uh, all over the world, right? So some in Brazil, some in the States, you know, some in uh, Turkey, you know. So, you know, really trying to align those timelines for for people to be online, to be available, to to handle all of the incoming requests on Discord. Um, it, it, it's 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 really crisis management <laughs> that you're dealing with. Um, you, you're juggling a lot of balls at the same time, and and just trying to make sure that like you don't drop any. Uh, so about 24 hours maybe less um maybe about 20 hours ago i don't know my time is a blur at the moment things started calming down um and and now we're kind of i think through the worst phase now it's just like okay looking back to see what happened seeing what lessons we can learn what did we do well what can we improve upon uh you know and then kind of you know making sure that like moving forward we're, we're, we're stronger for it that's awesome. Well, I mean, there's a, again, there's a lot to unpack, um, but the work that you guys did in cooperation with, um, you know, other players in the, in the DeFi ecosystem and the broader ecosystem, I think we got out to the other side of it. And I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at it, but um, it, I think anyone in this ecosystem can agree it could have been a lot worse. Um, so really, really appreciate the hard work that you guys did. Um, probably many, uh, Sleepless nights um, getting through. That's really appreciated. And I know that we've got uh, Brandon from HBAR Bull up here. Uh, surprise guest. How are you doing? Maybe I'll ask you real quick. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts over the last, you know, uh, three or four days? It's been kind of crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a little bit humbling because we, we hadn't had anything similar to this since going back to 2019. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a little humbling to, to see that we had an issue, but we have to understand that, you know, it wasn't necessarily the consensus algorithm. A lot of people brought up, you know, the, what about ABFT, right? But that's at the consensus algorithm level. That's not, 
Um, you know, the things that the services that are built on top of it that, of course, take a lot of code. And uh, as Justin can can attest to, there can be issues with code, right? And it has to be battle tested and it takes time uh, to go through that process. You know, we, we have a lot of questions going forward, but uh, it, it was funny because right after it happened, uh, I did put out, I think I repl- replied to a tweet or something along those lines. And and shortly after, I, I realized, oh, I actually made, made a mistake. So I actually pulled that uh, response down. And I, I realized it during that time, I'm like, I'm not going to say anything until I fully understand exactly what is going on. And n- not, you know, a couple hours later, they're like, well, you know, I, I started getting PMs. Why aren't you saying anything about this? Well, it takes time to gather the information and figure out how to how to respond. And I tried to put everything I could into the, the weekly update this week. But, um, you know, I, I think that. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, that there's always going to be the potential for bugs. And how are we going to prevent that? Well, that's why we have testnet. That's why we do audits. You know, we might want to, you know, tweak how we go through that process of bringing new code online and, and things along those lines. You know, look at additional auditors, things, things along those lines. But as far as the response afterwards, like I said in the weekly update, there's always going to be um, – there's always going to be, you know, when something like this negatively happens, there's always going to be repercussions, no matter which way you go. So Al Grand recently had that hack and they didn't do anything. I don't know if they had a choice to be able to try to prevent some of the funds that were lost. I think it was upwards of uh, $10 million worth of funds were stolen. Um, but of course, there was negative ramifications, you know, in the public sphere because they didn't do anything or couldn't do anything. Um, Hedera was in the same spot. You know, they had the ability, they had these proxies uh, to be able to isolate the the network and and try to figure this out. Um, They had the, they could have either done that or not. Um, When they made that decision, then they had to deal with um, if, you know, how long is it going to be down for? And, you know, if we don't do this, could we could people lose an addition, additional funds? And, and how are we going to deal with that? So it, it was a roller coaster, but I think it was fairly well dealt with. Uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's something we can learn from and, and go forward. Right on. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100 percent. I mean, it, it even though things have kind of wrapped on it. And as Justin was saying, things have kind of died down over the last 20 hours and we're back on our feet. Um, it definitely feels like we're in a we're in a bit of new territory. We're in a bit of a new era of the network, and we're we're moving forward with um, ca- like uh, optimistic caution, or I don't know what you want to call it, but we're moving we're moving forward. We're not paused anymore. Um, so I'm going to take uh, the next ten minutes or so just to intro the show and also. I want to get right into um, a little bit of a breakdown of what we're going to unpack together um, and kind of take people through um, what happened. So good evening from Ottawa, Canada, everyone. My name is Brandon Davenport, and I'm a developer, artist, and creative agency owner here at Dirksen and Davenport Incorporated. And like all of you, I'm a Hashgraph enthusiast. It is March 12th, Sunday, and there's a lot to talk about. And welcome to Hashgraph News and Rumors, episode 68 Better now than later. This is a weekly show that covers the top stories related to Hedera, HBAR, and everything in between broadcast live on Twitter spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and made available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, 
every Monday. Get all the info you need about the show and listen to past episodes at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. If you're listening live, check out the Twitter thread pinned to the top of the spaces to take a deeper dive into each story. Also, everybody listening, take a moment now to share the spaces to your friends. Let everyone know you're listening. The more, the merrier, of course. And you can also click the little comment button at the bottom right of the spaces to ask a question or share something interesting. Maybe there's some breaking news or something that we're missing out on. Let us know. That's the way to let us know. We'll talk about it. Um, Also, too, this show continues to grow. And it's because of people like you that are tuning in. So if you're interested in becoming a supporter of the show, please consider making an HBAR donation. It helps me continually add value to the Hashgraph community and keeps the show ad-free. You can send a donation to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. Brought to you by listeners like you. Now, our special report tonight, an attack on Hedera, the use of emergency protocols, and the top 10 questions across the ecosystem. On March 7th, 2023 at 12.47 p.m. Eastern, a new account was created on the Hedera mainnet. And the owner of this account was aware of a critical bug in the Hedera mainnet code and planned an exploit. For the first time, a major attack on the Hedera network begins. A story that illustrates the painful birth of Web3 and the struggle for compromise, but also the power of community and governance. There were also some very, very good memes. After reviewing publicly available content, postmortems, announcements, public conversations, and transactions on the mainnet, I've compiled a timeline of key events that transpired during this exploit and attack. My hope is to compile all the information shared over the last few days into a more complete picture and also provide some additional context. Also yesterday, I asked the HBAR community on Twitter to share their top questions on their minds that they'd like answers for. I've reviewed dozens of these replies and surfaced the most repeated questions. Now there aren't gonna be answers for all of these or some of these, uh, but I hope that bringing them together will get us on the same page as a community. But first, I wanna review a few important things so all this makes sense. Things like who are the key players in all of this and an explanation of what certain things mean, like HTS, HCS, IP proxies, porting, and other things you'll need to know. I also want to underline the fact that there are many ways to look at this situation and how it was dealt with. Some things I'm sure we will never know, but the reality is that Hedera Hashgraph is a beta software product, and any parties involved, including the Governing Council, uh, understand this. We've seen attacks on many DLT protocols in the past, and in the Hedera community, it has always felt like something was waiting to drop. We never had experienced a major attack on this network, but with the recent step function, Hedera and its community definitely became a little bolder. And looking back, it's kind of tough and a little cringy. Um, But the key lesson learned from this attack is we are all together on this journey into Web3 and the fourth industrial revolution. It's a bumpy ride. And when a project, organization, or DLT gets egg in their face, the Hedera community should think twice before dunking on their peers or competition. It also highlights the risks associated with bridging Hashgraph to the broader ecosystem and the need for good compromise as we grow. So let's dive in. Um, now, I want to take a quick pause here just for, uh, you know, Justin and Brandon. Um, uh, again, like I'm, I'm going to go over some of the key folks 
um, and then just go over a couple glossary items of what things are. And then I have a pretty detailed timeline of some things I put together. Uh, but I just wanted to maybe give, I'll go to Justin and maybe say, um, you know, going into this, um, I maybe maybe I'd say, what would you say is the key lesson learned? Or maybe what was the key lesson that the Hedera community learned um, from this recent exploit? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, hard to answer. I think, you know, we saw a lot of uh, different viewpoints from the community. So I think as a broader Hedera community, uh, what I certainly noticed was was that there seems to be a schism between people that want smart contracts and then other people that don't want smart contracts. Um, so I think there were like a, a major list. I, I, I think it's going to create like, I think it will further that division in a lot of ways, I think. So maybe the, the, the lesson to learn is... Uh, it, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's to me what you're what you're getting at is like the skill of compromise. How do we grow the network and and draw liquidity and and um, builders in from other ecosystems, but also at the same time try to stay as close to the L one as possible. It's going to take compromise, right? And and it and that starts from a place of kind of two polar opposites sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think smart contracts and, you know, building decentralized applications is essential to grow TVL and to get developer interest. Uh, it comes with risk, as we've seen, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, look, I think there were a lot of positives. Uh, the biggest lesson for me personally, um, you, you, you know, is probably for me understanding or uh, the low level stuff a little bit more uh, so that, you know, we can kind of, I guess, be more proactive in, in, in some of those aspects. Uh, you know, we've had to delve quite deeply into the code base. So the lessons for us is really, you, you, you know, as a community, I think it's important that uh, you don't just say, okay, well, Swirled Labs is developing this. I think, you know, to stress test, this it's good for other projects, projects like Pangolin, projects like Saucer and Heli and all of them to stress test that underlying technology too, so that you have like another set of eyes. Um, you know, that's the best way to kind of test and battle harden this technology before, you know, bad actors can 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 do it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Brandon, maybe I'll get some of your thoughts on this too. Yeah, well, I think there's there's two aspects. There's there's a humbling aspect, and then there's something that we can certainly be proud of. Um, the Hedera community, the the Hedera, I mean the the core team as well, uh, and this stems from Lehman and Mance. They've been very rigorous in in how they generally roll things out, and that comes down to the the Hedera network, right? It's been very methodical how they've on their path to decentralization. And, you know, it, it allowed us, I mean, you read the the description of how the proxies are supposed to work and why they're in place and everything else. They, they talk about it. The, the network is still in its infancy. And the way they were able to ring fence the network when it was necessary 
uh, is important. And I really don't know at this point whether it was every single one of the node operators, every single one of the council members had to uh, activate their proxy uh, to, to prevent um, any further damage. I'm not sure. And we're going to try to figure that out over the next few days. I'm going to have a, a Twitter space of my own on Tuesday. And I think I'm going to get Christian in uh, to, to answer possibly some of those questions. Uh, but I think, you know, being able to do that and protect the network uh, is important. Uh, the humbling aspect of it is um, there's still this code that was written, right? And there was obviously a flaw. We may not even because smart contracts are still very new and being battle tested every day. And the flaw that was there, we might not even know that it was a flaw until this this came up. And that's what you were talking about in the beginning, going through this battle testing and building up those battle scars to make sure this is robust. Uh, but, you know, you put those two things together and, you know, if we are going to build the next uh, layer of financial infrastructure on top of these DLTs, you need both of those things. So you need the rigor to make sure that the, the smart contracts, or we may find that app nets are a better way to go in some of these instances. I do believe that smart contracts for a lot of this infrastructure is going to be uh, needed and necessary. Uh, but I do think it's it's something we should look at as far as will app nets fill that void uh, more uh, you know, thoroughly. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to see when, when we get there. But that's that's all part of this learning process, right? But um, when we do have hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars flowing through these networks, it isn't a bad idea to have some kind of a backup to be able to, if there is something that goes wrong, to protect the network so you can then move on at a later date. Everybody's uh, funds were protected while we were going through this, this learning process over the past few days. So I think that a lot of the users that are going to look at this are going to say, hey, we might want to maintain this additional control of the proxies uh, in the future. I've actually been a proponent for, for a long time of having you know, a significant amount of trusted community nodes uh, added to the network. I know the and when Mance and Lehman say that they have a path to decentralization and they want to become a completely permissionless network where anybody can uh, run a node, um, I know they mean that when they say that. But you know, we may learn through this process that maybe there is a point in between, you know, trusted nodes and um, and anonymous nodes that we might want to stop on that path someplace. And that'll be up to the, the council to, to figure out, um, you know, if they want to maintain some of these additional cr controls, considering we are going to at some point have trillions of dollars worth of value um, secured and flowing through this network. So, you know, th those are all my, my main takeaways as far as the learnings. Uh, but I, I think it's good for both that, that we're um, happy that the, the uh, controls that were in place were able to kind of ring fence things uh, and give us some time to figure out exactly how to deal with the exploit that was there. And, and then also that, you know, some humility that we might need to uh, add it, some additional rigor at certain points uh, during checking this code before we deploy it and so forth. Uh, but Justin, what are your thoughts on kind of what I ran through right there, you know, from a developer's uh, perspective? Yeah, for me, it, it, it's pretty simple. Like there's, so there were some recent uh, studies done by the block, um, by uh, the gentleman behind the block. And I think they found out that there's 8,000 developers in total in DeFi. Um, uh, and that, yeah. So if you look at that, whether that figure is correct or not, I'm not sure. 
uh, you know, what makes an ecosystem flourish? It's developers, right? Uh, you know, the best developers come to your ecosystem. You're going to develop the best applications. You're going to get the best users, right? Or you're going to get the majority of users. So it's very clear that, you know, there's a current war. There's a talent war going on at the moment between network layers um, and to compete and to remain uh, kind of competitive and to keep pace with the innovation that's occurring, you need to provide an environment where developers want to build on your network uh, and where you attract talented developers. Uh, there's numerous ways to do that, of course. I won't get into all of that, but I think you know it's very key in these early stages of these burgeoning industries that developer like attracting developers is 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 a critical element of having a successful network layer yeah i think that's the great way to put that is really what we're trying to do is attract talent ideas energy in the form of builders and developers and artists to this ecosystem and have them bring along everything great with them what's the most effective way to do that and Currently, we, you know, the, the Hedera network and, and the ecosystem has kind of, you know, determined that the, you know, the EVM and smart contracts are the way to do it. I don't see, you know, any, you know, it, it, my own take personally is I understand the benefits of moving towards more um, app nets and, um, even some of the smart node technology. And personally, sometimes I view smart contracts and solidity as, you know, Adobe Flash to the web. But I mean, it's, it, you know, where we are in our infancy is um, these, you know, you need these certain things to bootstrap these initiatives and get these things flowing. It's a little bit of a catch-22. And really what it comes down to is having these conversations within our community and with every community to continually get closer and closer to what's most effective for the ultimate goal. Um, and that'll keep changing. And what it is right now, we're going, we're going to have to continue determining that. But I think that what matters is just continuing to have these conversations and um, try to have the most complete picture that we can. Um, so before we move on, I just wanted to, and before we move into kind of the timeline that I've put together, because I think this is going to be really, really helpful for people to see um, all the different pieces come together in a cohesive timeline, and we can talk through some of the key things that happened. Um, I wanted to just first um, highlight and give a shout out to the key players involved with this recent attack on the main net and its subsequent resolution and keeping the community safe. And these folks were... Um, Hedera, right, which we all know is um, the organization that shepherds the Hashgraph algorithm and the mainnet that is owned and governed by um, the, the governing council, which is 28 members, which will increase to 39 term limited um, major enterprises, universities, um, banks, all that kind of stuff. So that's Hedera. We got Swirls Labs, um, which is where Mance and Lehman, co-founders of Hedera, Lehman being the um, uh, inventor of the Hashgraph algorithm. Uh, they're at Swirls Labs with their teams. And Swirls Labs is also a governing council member for Hedera. We've got the HBAR Foundation, which is a grant-giving body that's completely separate from Hedera um, that also provides resources to the ecosystem and the forms of grants and also, you know, 
um, assistance developing things, different things like that. We've got Hashport, um, which is a network bridging service that allows people to move liquidity from other networks to Hedera back and forth. Um, so that's how you would, for example, get Ethereum onto the Hedera network as wrapped Ethereum, right? Or get HBAR onto the, the Ethereum network in the form of wrapped HBAR. So there's all these different um, assets that you can move around that get you know burned or swapped or bridged. And so Hashport is really the way that that's accomplished on the network. Um, we've also got Stator Labs, um, which is a, they, they do a liquid staking platform for HBAR X, um, which is a token that's used on many DEXs. Um, we've got Pangolin DEX, of course, Justin, the CEO is up here. They're a, a multi-chain DEX. They also support assets on Hedera. We've got Saucer Swap that is also a DEX on Hedera. Um, and we've also got uh, HeliSwap, which is also a DEX on Hedera, and LimeChain, which is the development partner for HeliSwap. So these key players are really the, the, the group of people on the front lines dealing with this exploit and working together and ultimately coming up with a resolution. Um, and then a few quick glossary items. You know, the Hedera mainnet, short for main network, is where applications are run in production with transactions fees paid in HBAR. Um, an IP proxy is a server that acts as an intermediary between Hedera, the Hedera mainnet, and the internet, allowing you access to the mainnet. The Ethereum virtual machine, EVM, is a computer program that runs smart contracts on the Ethereum blockchain network. Solidity is a programming language used to write smart contracts. Um, a smart contract is a self-executing digital contract that automatically enforces the rules and conditions agreed upon by parties involved. A liquidity pool is a pool of tokens locked by users used to facilitate trades in a decentralized exchange without the need for an order book. So you'll see those different pairs like HBAR and SAUCE or whatever. Um, a crypto bridge or porting is the process of transferring cryptocurrencies or tokens between different blockchains or networks. And often in this timeline, we'll see the war room brought up. And what the war room is was just an ongoing group call between ecosystem participants involved with analyzing the attack and assembling a fix. Um, so really the TLDR here, and this is provided by Hedera, is on March 9th, an attacker exploited the smart contract service code of the Hedera mainnet to transfer HTS tokens from targeted accounts to the attacker's own account, targeting accounts at multiple DEXs, including Pangolin, SaucerSwap, and HeliSwap. The key things here, though, is no retail um, user Hedera accounts were at risk. No Hedera wallets were at risk. DEXs and bridges work together to stop the tokens from flowing over the bridge. Um, and the breakdown of what assets were actually um, compromised, uh, Hedera says, to the best of our knowledge, the following tokens, valued at just under 600,000 US dollars at the time of the attack, were stolen across multiple accounts slash DEXs before the attacker was stopped. So <clears throat> DAI stablecoin, there was a thousand and one of those. Uh, 66, uh, just about 67,000 USDT, um, 288 USDC, and 3.6 million uh, wrapped HBARB. And that's basically an overview of kind of what was going on. Now, the bug in the attack, and I'm going to throw this to Justin in a minute, but basically what the bug and attack looked like, and this is, is again, a bit of that TLDR, <clears throat> is... 
The attack worked because many smart contracts, including Uniswap version 2, allow any contract to be used for a swap, making them vulnerable to manipulation by attackers. So the attacker targeted accounts used as liquidity pools at multiple DEXs that use Uniswap version 2 derived contract code ported over from Ethereum to use the Hedera token service, including Pangolin, SaucerSwap, and HelloSwap. So with that kind of Uniswap version 2 thing and the smart contracts kind of stuff and we talk about what this bug was and what the exploit was maybe i'll throw it quickly to um justin can you give us an idea from what you know of what this bug actually was and 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 how did this attack kind of get executed yeah so just a bit of context uh we were the ones that picked this bug up at the pangolin team we we we, we were the ones that then notified uh, Hashfort, uh, we were the first ones to see it. We also notified Heli because the bug was also exploited on Heli. Um, so let's just first talk about this. There's a lot of misinformation that I've been seeing on a bunch of different uh, mediums. Um, and a lot of people have been blaming Solidity uh, as well as the UniV2 code. Um, <clears throat> this is not fair and not accurate at all. The bug was to do with an, a method on uh, an HTS, which is the Dare token service, contract call and how it's interpreted by Solidity. So there are a lot of people saying, you know, it's copy and paste Uniswap V2 DEX codes. Uh, this is clearly incorrect. This bug was associated with all HTS tokens that had smart contracts associated with them. So every single HTS token that has a, a Solidity smart contract associated whether that's in an NFT project, whether that's in anything, was vulnerable. The, the attack vector was just a specific instance of that vulnerability because obviously you want to attack where the most liquidity is and extract the most value. But having said that, every single DEX and every single HTS token that had a smart contract associated with it was vulnerable. This means that the entirety of all TVL in the ecosystem was at risk. That's incredibly important to remember when you then go into the next steps of why things had to happen so quickly, why it had to be escalated at the level it was. The whole ecosystem could have been drained. What we did when we initially, when we found the bug was immediately we came up with the plan to get Hashport to close and pause the tokens. That was the very first thing we did. We got into a war room. We told Hashport immediately, this is what they have to do. And then they executed it. Else the whole ecosystem was. We don't know if the hacker had other exploits and was going to drain Pangolin first, then Heli, then SourceSwap. It's possible. All of those exploits were possible due to a flash loan contract that is included in uh, UniV2's code. So, again, I think we, we, we've got to be very clear. Okay, 600K approximately, you know, was lost. Compared to the 30 million that was at risk, just to contextualize, you know, some of the actions that were taken. But the bug was clearly in a pre-compile, clearly. So this, this, you know, I think it's important, you know, if you've got some ideological feelings about whether Solidity should be used or native smart contracts used within the DERA, that's fine. Um, you know, but 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 in terms of actually the bug, it's the way that the Solidity was interpreted via a pre-compile that caused this issue. Um, just, real, just real quick, Justin, is 
just to to stop you there and just touch on two things real quick. Um, when we talk about um, HTS tokens being vulnerable and and you specifying that um, it is only HTS tokens with a smart tr- contract associated with that, just to kind of pull on that thread a little bit, what that basically means is um, a token like HBAR or um, uh, let's say uh, Sauce or something that is just a token a fungible token minted directly to um, the layer one of Hedera using the token service. Those tokens um, would not be vulnerable to this type of exploit. But if you were, for example, to take um, those tokens and put them into a liquidity liquidity pool at a DEX, or if you were to go to something like Hashport and let's say port over some Dovu from uh, the Ethereum blockchain onto Hedera, those HTS tokens would then be associated with the smart contract and would then be vulnerable to this type of exploit. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, it's the actual linking of them. So there's a specific call called HTS approve, which then gets invoked by the, yeah. Right. And then I'll just throw it to Brandon real quick, but just to, also too, to highlight just in regards to the TVL comment. Um, that So if you, for example, had your HBAR in Hashpack staked to, let's say, the Avery Dennison node on Hedera, that staking method would not employ the use of a smart contract. So that TVL um, wouldn't be vulnerable on, on the network. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, great. So what you're, what you're illustrating is the scope of this vulnerability is for... Um, Tokens that are either, if you bridge tokens from another network onto Hedera via Hashport, or if you were to take tokens from your wallet and put them into or associate them with a smart contract, that's what would that's what would make them vulnerable. So I just wanted to clear that up because that's a, a definitely a nuance. This, and I'll just throw it over to uh, Brandon real quick. Yeah. So no, this is this is a question, and it's not rhetorical. I'm. I'm... I don't know the answer. Uh, so, and I'm throwing this one to Justin. So Justin, um, my question is, was this a flaw that might've been known in other networks or is it something that, you know, is only because we have a native token service and it's, it would have been difficult to pick up in an audit or difficult to pick up due to rigor, uh, something along those lines, or is this something that probably wouldn't have been known so different auditing or uh things checking the 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 code would have made it difficult to pick up um so you know the two different sides there is this is this something that we could look at rigor um and possibly uh seal this up or is it just because this is new technology new code that needs to be battle tested yeah great question thank you for that um so we have we've seen these exploits before uh moonbeam so let's talk about what a precompile is okay so a precompile is basically a, a, it's allowing you to do something in solidity that can occur at the base network layer so let's say for example you wanted to do something in solidity like you wanted to i don't know have like a common function that sent 10 bucks for donation you know and it happened at the network layer. You could then wrap that uh, ability in a smart contract. So any smart contract could then donate 10 bucks and it would happen at the network layer. That's what a precompile does. 
It allows Solidity to perform some common network layer functionality at a higher la layer in the stack. Okay, so every single uh, EVM fork or EVM, you know, kind of alternative has to have this uh, way to take Solidity into an execution engine. Moonbeam, which is a parachain on uh, Polkadot, had a very, very similar flaw about mm, eight or ten months ago. And uh, a white hat, I think it was Pornfire, he reported that, and Moonbeam actually awarded uh, that, that 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 person a million dollar white hat bounty. This this is not uh, a unique flaw. The, the you know uh, it, it happens at the network layer, and as more and more EVM compatible blockchains are created, and more precompiles are added, the risk of these flaw the risk of these types of vulnerabilities obviously increases. So in terms of addressing it, I mean, generally, again, this comes down to application developers. Application developers are going to test their smart contract code. Uh, they're not going to be testing network-level codes. Most teams don't have the resources um, to do that. It's also a very different type of engineer, a smart contract engineer versus someone that can decompile bytecode and go down to that base level. It's like saying like when you hire a JavaScript developer versus maybe like, um, you know, a C++ or something, you know, like it's, it's, it's related and you can, there's probably some similarities, but like most smart contract developers aren't, aren't going down to that level at the network level to test these types of things. Um, how you can mitigate it. I mean, when, when we were pretty confident it was a pre-compile, one of our first uh, thoughts was to go into the client software and to look at the unit tests. Um, so, for example, for all of the pre-compiles, there should be a bunch of unit tests that then replicate the behavior and prove that the behavior is consistent. We haven't had a chance to do that, unfortunately. It's been <laughs> it's been a wild, wild few days. Um, but that's one thing that like we wanted to uh, uh, independently verify is like what do those unit tests look like on the client code? Um, or may maybe you know they can be extended. Maybe we can offer some help there. Um, but again, like I said, the, 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 this this attack vector. And again, the thing is, I don't want to do conspiracy theories, but there's like hacker farms like in North Korea and China where these guys literally that's what they do, right? These and ladies, I mean, whatever, you know, like they, they are literally looking at any network layer with a certain amount of TVL and they're constantly looking for flaws. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that um, now that we have this is this is the really interesting thing is when do what when does the community start to speculate on these things and when do people start to go down certain rabbit holes? I think it's early for that but now that we have um the information now and especially when i start to put this timeline together um the certain gaps become really evident and when you see the complete picture you can start to then go okay here's something to extrapolate on a little bit now also too that for example we know various accounts, right, involved with these types of transactions and involved with the exploit and opening up these various accounts. I'm sure that that rabbit hole goes um, very far and, and will continue to be explored by the community. Um, that's something where I think we're going to get to that point pretty soon where people are going to start to be able to um, venture out into the unknown on this and, and discover some interesting things. I'm excited for that. But I think that... Um, the best thing to do next 
is to dive into this timeline that I've put together. First, I just want to quickly summarize um, the 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 other elements of of the attack that we we kind of already covered, but just uh, maybe just break it down to a little more layman's terms. So basically, the attacker tricked the decks into calling malicious, a malicious smart contract that gives them special privileges. This contract then gives the attacker access to the tokens held by the DEX's liquidity pool, allowing them to steal funds. A critical bug in the Hedera mainnet code let the attacker use the liquidity pool's credentials to get approval instead of their own, which gave them access to the DEX's smart contract. This allowed the attacker to steal the funds. So it was, I think, Justin, I heard you describe it this way. Maybe it was you. You described something of like a handshake of the smart contract layer on Hedera, giving a handshake to the native um, layer one protocol elements such as HTS. And during that kind of handshake is when um, a, a key aspect of the exploit was executed. Was that was that you that, that used that analogy? I can't take credit for that. No, that wasn't me. Right. Okay. I heard it. I heard it somewhere. <laughs> That's cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah, there was, there was, yeah, that, that, like, I think it was someone having like an explain it like I'm five moment, and the person was like, the smart contract service gives a handshake to the native protocol layer, and during that handshake, something was snuck in, and an exploit took place. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, so this brings us to this timeline. Now, this timeline was put together um, after, um, you know, reviewing. A lot of publicly available content, again, postmortems, announcements, public conversations and transactions. And basically, I there's there's, you know, all this different information out there. And I wanted to bring it all together into one timeline um, so we can kind of see a full picture. And this really begins on March 12th, 2020, when Hedera announces um, IP proxies on the test net and the main net. Um, Brandon, I know that um, you were talking a little bit about this. Um, is is this something that you kind of have a little more knowledge of or that you wanted to touch on, just the um, IP proxies um, and how they work with the mainnet? Uh, well, I mean, the main thing is they were put in place to prevent DOS and DDoS attacks. Um, but obviously this was not one of those kind of attacks, but they, the controls that it would allow them to have, you know, uh, were still effective. Um, it shows again, how careful they are when, when they're, uh, dealing with the main net. It is DDoS resistant. It's, it, um, isn't suscept as susceptible as some other networks to DDoS attacks, but they still wanted to have this additional layer of control. Um, but again, that was all the way back in, like you mentioned, in May of 2020. So, uh, you know, we didn't have to touch any of this stuff for a really long time. Uh, unfortunately, I, Brandon, I do have to jump off here just in a few minutes, uh, but I just want to say one other thing, uh, and I, you might want to talk more about the proxies, but, um, you know, I was talking to Christian, and we're going to get Christian on to talk about this on Tuesday on our Twitter space, and it it's very telling because I always ask, you know, you know, is there anything that you, you don't want to talk about? Is there anything that, um, you know, is is off limits? And he was like, no, bring all questions, anything you got. No problem. Uh, it just shows how open they are about some of these these or about this exploit in particular. So uh, but I am going to have to jump off here in a couple seconds. Uh, but, yeah, as far as the proxies, it just shows that they, they wanted to have an extra layer of uh, uh, protection, uh, you know, 
way back in 2020. So uh, good to see that. Right on. Appreciate it. And what I will say, uh, Brandon, when you have that conversation with Christian, um, definitely uh, show him that uh, post I put together of the top 10 questions from the community. I think that really sums up what's what's on folks' mind right now in regards to this. Uh, but really appreciate you stopping by. It's always a pleasure to have you, man. All right. Oh, sorry. You wanted to chime in real quick? No, I was just going to say you always have a good space. It's it's hard to make it sometime. Uh, it's it's kind of late where I am on, on a Sunday night, but right. I always enjoy stopping by. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. All right. So... Um, yeah, so we've got these proxies on the mainnet. <laughs> I also just got a, a quick DM from uh, old Scruffy from Pangolin as well down there listening. Shout out. Um, he is taking credit for the handshake analogy. So thank you very much, Scruffy. Um, so now this brings us to the next timeline item. February 3rd, 2022. Hedera announces uh, the launch of the mainnet EVM compatible smart contracts 2.0, right? So these two really key moments uh, that, that, that contribute to this, right? Like these are really important things. The first one in May of 2020 is uh, the IP proxies that act as a layer uh, between the internet and the mainnet. Um, and, and as we've seen how they work, that's how they work. Um, and, February 2022, we get the smart contract functionality on the network. Now, flash forward a year later, February 20th, 2023, right? Just weeks ago, Hedera reaches the highest TVL of 50 million at DeFi Llama, according to DeFi Llama. So just a couple weeks ago, Hedera was at the highest TVL. A week later, on February 26th at 5 p.m., Hedera posted the, what I'll say, the infamous tweet, which was um, a in response to another network having some issues. Um, Hedera tweets, health and safety standards in any industry are crucially important. Some things never change. We at Hedera understand the need to provide a constantly functional, optimally secure and provably fair technology for Web3. Stay safe out there. And they put up a tweet that says, um, days since a network outage, 935. So obviously this is a bit of a meme. This is a bit of a, a goof on um, some of the different things happening. Uh, it's not a direct jab at any network in particular. It's just basically um, at this time, Right. As I was saying, Hedera, we were kind of feeling a little bit untouchable. And this culminated in this tweet that has almost a thousand likes and was published February 26th. Um, and that brings us now setting the stage to March 7th, 10 a.m. Right. What a great day. At 10 a.m. It was announced that Hedera ranked number 35 in the list of America's best startup employers at Forbes. Um, it what we were we were full and giddy and excited. It was an exciting time to be in the Hedera community. Still is, but we were you know on the seventh we were very excited. Later that day, at twelve forty seven p.m. and this is an Eastern time. All the times I'm talking about going forward are an Eastern time. At twelve forty seven p.m. Eastern, an attacker creates account number one zero dot zero dot two zero one five seven one seven. They funded their account from Binance. 
And these details are, are um, outlined in Hedera's postmortem. Later that day at 2.16 p.m. Eastern, the attacker creates a contract used in the attack. And later that day, Hedera breaks a transaction record for total transactions in a 24-hour period, 62.7 million. So the 7th is a really interesting day because we have these huge milestones and announcements. And in the background, we've got some interesting things happening um, on the mainnet. Justin, you threw your hands up. Feel free to hop in at any time. Cool. Uh, I just want to clarify about that Binance. So the way Binance works is it actually rents its liquidity to other exchanges. So for example, yeah, where I am in Australia, there's like a very popular uh, centralized exchange called SwiftX. Um, and what they do is they don't actually have their own liquidity. What they do is they rent Binance's liquidity for fulfillment of orders. So they service, they do all the regulatory compliance here within Australia. And then what happens is when a user goes onto SwiftX and they actually buy, you know, HBAR, it's actually getting fulfilled by Binance's liquidity. This is the case for those um, accounts too, right? So it's, I can't remember the term Binance uses, but even though a wallet can be tagged on a blockchain explorer as Binance's, the transaction origination can come from one of these kind of smaller centralized exchanges that are located in different jurisdictions. Um, so what you've got to notice then and what is important to take into account is different jurisdictions have much more, uh, some are stricter, some are very uh, lackadaisical enforcement and regulatory compliance programs. So uh, for example, uh, and ETH is obviously much more widely available, right? So the thing is, if you want, if you're a hacker, um, you know, if I had to put my white hat on and I wanted to exit from Hedera ecosystem, I could only exit via HBAR uh, onto the centralized exchanges or else Saucer onto MEXC. That would be the only way to exit, right? And most of those exchanges that support HBAR are like, you know, pretty well known exchanges with pretty well understood compliance. But getting those funds onto Ethereum and converting it into ETH meant there was hundreds, if not thousands, more centralized exchanges the hacker could offboard onto. This the, this is why it was so critical to close the bridge because yeah. it, it, it could have just gone really ugly because every, every centralized exchange offers ETH and th there are definitely exchanges that don't do KYC. Definitely, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a gr that's a great point. Um, so as I go through this timeline, feel free to throw your hand up and jump in at any time. Um, so that was the seventh, right? And that was, again, a really interesting day. We had some great news, but that was the day. I mean, the great news was huge. Like, you know, Hedera being, you know, top 50 in Forbes, um, you know, breaking transaction records. Like these, this great news keeps rolling in. And just this backdrop of something happening that nobody knew about, right? That would lead to crazy ramifications. Now, the next day, March 8th, at 12.06 p.m. Eastern, is the first major attack where the attacker receives 1,000 USDC and 1,000 DAI from HellisSwap and sends it to Hashport, as Justin was mentioning. By sending assets from the pool at HellisSwap, 
to Hashport allowed them to move to, to to then have control of those assets on another network, such as Ethereum. Um, you know, as Justin highlighted, that would open so many more possibilities for them to get that liquidity um, out of crypto. Um, so that was the first major attack after preparing the previous day. Um, and on the 8th, just five hours after that happened, at 5.30 p.m., the Hedera mainnet hits 5 billion transactions and the community celebrates. So on that same day, as the, as the first major attack on the network occurs, um, one of the biggest milestones and achievements and celebrations um, of the community is occurring, um, which I wanted to highlight um, that I don't think you could put it any more clearly how important it is to be humble in this community and understand that no matter what network you're on, we're all in the same boat trying to do the same thing. Um, so that's the 8th. On March 9th, and again, these times are in Eastern, on March 9th at 12.30 a.m. was the first alert that there was an attack happening. And the alert arrived to Pangolin. So maybe, um, you know, Justin, you know, again, it's Eastern times that I'm talking about, but um, at 12.30 a.m. Eastern, your time, when you get that alert and you have a screenshot of it in that document that you shared, um, what were what were the first thoughts going through through your head? Yeah, so leading up to that, we had um, a few people, uh, I think there were two, that reported they couldn't swap in our Discord. We have like a support channel and like a ticketing system. So I knew something was up. Like I, I always check those support tickets. Um, and then Brandon, um, one of our engineers, uh, he or lead engineer, he 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 started investigating it. Um, you know, uh, like quite a fortunate twist of fate in my opinion because it was late his time. You know, uh, and he started investigating it, and he noticed there was like a, a pool imbalance, um, and wasn't sure why so it, it shouldn't have been possible this is where the hacker made them first well their major mistake in my opinion if they had called the sync method it would have then synced that pool and it would have enabled users to continue to swap until the pool was ultimately drained so because they didn't the hacker didn't call that method users were alerted and those users alerted us so you know, I, I, I haven't found out who those users were, but I'm going to go back and look for those messages to personally thank them. And, you know, um, but it was their, them taking their time out their day to, 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 to report it that ultimately saved everyone. Um, so then we realized there was a pool mismatch. While investigating that pool mismatch, uh, we saw uh, the transaction. I think it was about 16K that they had drained. And then we... I can't talk for the engineers' mindsets, but they noticed the same thing that happened on HeliSwap um, first, right? So at that point, as soon as we noticed it, um, there was uh, we, we jumped into a war room with Heli. Uh, for anyone that knows, Heli uh, is uh, you know has a relationship with LimeChain. LimeChain uh, provides development services for Heli as well as Swirled. So we jumped into a war room with uh, Heli, Lamed, ourselves, and then uh, reached out to Hashport. So the, the, the immediate plan was simple. It was, okay, uh, contain, 
Um, so contain the amount, so stop them exploiting any more, and then uh, communicate to users to get their funds out uh, as quick as possible. Um, because we didn't know what it was. Okay, we 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 like. I mean, there's a screenshot, or there, there there's a Discord message from Shung, who's like our kind of he's like our kind of internal white hat, and he in that says, I think it's a pre-compile issue. So we knew, but we could not independently verify and confirm it was. So now the thing is, now it's confusion, right? So now you know that you're getting hacked. There's a lot of uh, chaos going on. There's a lot of panic. There's a lot of emotions. Uh, there's a lot of different parties you have to manage and you have to be calm, right? You have to be incredibly calm in situations like this because, like, yeah. Um, so we, we, we within about eight minutes, we had a plan, right? The plan was simple. We get Hashport to shut down the bridge and pause their tokens. Um, and then we have to communicate to our users to leave while we investigate the problem, right? So, you know, it could have been something beyond a pre-compile issue. It could have been anything at this stage until we could independently verify, reverse engineer the code, and then replicate the attack vector. That's not something you can do in five, 10 minutes. You know, that takes time. That takes lots of time and lots of kind of digging, lots of going through code. And like, so, so especially with the pressure of a hack ongoing, it's really tough. So we had to take that pressure away from our engineers to allow them to kind of be able to do the code while we kind of handled ops. So like I kind of jumped on ops and the engineers jumped on to, um, you know, kind of figuring out and independently verifying what exactly was the cause of this. So Hashport were amazing. Like shout out to them. If anyone from the team, like much, much respect to them. Like, like from like me talking to Jesse and the team, like they, they acted super quick and then they shut it down. Boom. Okay, cool. If not for that shutdown, it would have, it could have gone anywhere. Man. Like I really, like I don't, we don't know. We don't yeah. know if the hacker had scripts for every single, we know he had scripts for Saucer. I mean, for Heli and for Pangolin. Um, I mean, he would be stupid not to have a script for Saucer. Like um, anyway, so after that, then it was, okay, cool. Then we got communications to people, right? Because we didn't know if it was only that pool, if it was. So safety first, we didn't want any users to lose money. So we want to be transparent. We want to be fair with people. And we want to give them an opportunity to uh, know as much as we did and make a decision based upon their own financial risk appetite, right? Like ultimately our first priority is always users money, like always, like everything else comes second. That's that's super important. And real quick, just before um, we, we move ahead, I just wanted to touch on a couple of these things that you mentioned um, just in this timeline, because I think it's so important to um, put all of these together. So um, 12.30 a.m. Eastern on March 9th is when you had that initial alert for your team. They were working through things. At 1.45 a.m. Eastern, that's when you received the alert that um, you and Heliswap may have been hacked. And later on, about an hour later at 12.43 a.m. Eastern, you alert um, Heliswap of the hack. And this is at 3.45 a.m., another hour later Eastern. Uh, the attacker targets your USDC and USDT liquidity pool. They stole funds over the course of several contract calls, starting small and scaling up, while transferring tokens out of Hedera using Hashport. This is what you were talking about. 
Um, this started to ma- raise major alarm bells. And at 3.53 a.m. Eastern, just a couple minutes after, um, you reach out um, to Hashport uh, to pause funds. Um, and uh, shortly after, according to Hedera's postmortem, is when uh, they were aware of the attack. And at 4.27 a.m. Eastern, the attacker goes after the Pangolin USDC wrapped HBAR pool. And it was around this time, I believe, that the initial war room uh, was created. Now, can you take us in a little bit to the war room? I, I want to definitely respect um, internal operations that you guys had happening. But um, who was involved with the war room? Kind of like, um, you know, what was its purpose? Was it running for the whole time? or Because uh, I see the war room being brought up all the time. It seems like such a critical element to all of this. Yeah, there were numerous war rooms. Um, again, I, my, my memory's fuzzy. When when these things happen, you just go in. So I'm, I may <laughs> misplace things. Um, as you can imagine, it was chaotic. Um, so the initial war room was set up as soon as we had confirmed funds had been drained. That was set up almost like within like a minute of us discovering. I mean, Oracle is like a little ninja. I mean, I, like that dude was just like on it. Like, so he, he immediately reached out to Heli and he, he also got hold of Saucer. Like he was just like, he was running point, right? On a lot of the kind of community outreach. Um, so like we jumped onto that war room. That war room was with, um, Heli and, uh, Lanchain. Um, at that point, I, I, I was trying to get hold of Hashport. Once I got hold of Hashport, Hashport jumped into the war room. Um, then we're like, okay, what's happening there? That was when we got the strategy, right? So then it was like, okay, so there was a bunch of people on there. That was when we were like, okay, we need to shut down Hashport and we need to get communications out. So uh, Hashport went and shut down their side, and then we formed a separate kind of uh, meeting. What happens is there's panic in a lot of, in these types of things, and there's a lot of people shouting, and there's a lot of people kind of like, you know, panicking a little bit. So we created like a separate room so that the marketing and communications team could align on a marketing strategy. We wanted to make sure the messaging was consistent uh, between all related parties. Um, so we got the Hashport team and the Heli team and our team. I think Oracle was then communicating with Saucer at this point. There was a little bit of a reluctance to add extra parties into it, um, just due to the fact that the more parties there is, there's more communication. I think personally, I think Saucer should have been included a bit more. That's my personal take. Don't you know? But again, there, there's there's no right or wrong in these situations. You're just trying to you know save the day in in a lot of ways. And then the marketing aligned on the messaging. We all aligned on the internal messaging. We got the messaging out, jumped into Discord, tried to lay people's fears, just wanted people to make their own decisions. At that point, then more room, more war rooms started popping up that had swirled labs. And at that point, there was like a lot of technical deep dives. Um, that war room, they were kind of thinking it's a uni v2 code. Well, I'm not saying that. Like, I know one... Uh, engineer uh, thought it was the Uni V2 code, um, which, you know, we were adamant it's not. I mean, Uni V2's probably got like, I don't know, over a billion dollars locked in it. If it was a Uni V2 exploit, like it would have been exploited already. So like that didn't really, again, so this is the challenge, right? You're dealing with a lot of engineers with a lot of different skill sets and domain specific knowledge. 
our particular engineers don't have domain specific knowledge uh, on like the kind of fundamental base network stuff. So, you know, we're just helping to facilitate making sure like that we could provide any value that we could. Um, yeah. <laughs> Does that answer? No, that that's great. We'll continue down the timeline here. So um, the, so it's, it's around five Oh four AM as I can piece together from what Hedera published um, that Hedera begins working on developing a fix, right? Hedera being, you know, swirls and different folks from there. Um, so that's just under five hours from when the first alert was received by you guys um, that the that the plan of attack was determined and the execution on that um, fix was initiated. And just minutes after that, at 5.06 a.m., was the first public communication that the Hashport bridge shutdown shutdown was underway. So, at, and this is this is a little interesting tidbit here. So, five oh six a.m. Eastern was the tweet from Hashport saying the bridge had been shut down. At five oh eight a.m. Eastern, uh, that's when Pangolin tweeted out, you know, there's an irregularity, um, the, that initial kind of uh, warning and alert to the community. And at 5.09 a.m. Eastern, this was the last burn um, of the attacker. So this was the attacker's last successful token burn associated with bridging is when it occurred. Once the hacker discovered that their exit plan to Ethereum was compromised, they then started attempting to move their funds to change now and Godex.io. Um, so it's those key few minutes there where... Um, th that alert went out, then it was shut down, but somehow in between there was that last burn that happened and this, that, that window of 5.06 AM Eastern, um, on the 9th to kind of 5.10 AM Eastern is a really critical window of almost five minutes of, um, messaging being sent, the bridge being shut down and the attacker squeaking through their last token burn. Um, and so it's now... Um, at around, I'd say 5.15 a.m. Again, no exact times are really available. And this kind of is something I pulled from your document that you published, Justin, was um, the HBAR Foundation reaches out to centralized exchanges to halt this activity. And also it's around this time that the authorities are alerted as well. I don't know if you can speak to this at all. I completely understand that this is something you can't talk about. But those two points surrounding communications um, from, you know, those individuals to these centralized exchanges and also uh, folding in the authorities like, um, do you have any other details or are you able to share any other details? I'm happy to leave it at that if you can. So, yeah, so, so we've identified, we've got the wallets. Um, I think the thing is it becomes, again, I, I don't know the exact um, process for this. I believe what you have to do is you have to get local authority. So you've got to find the exchange that offboarded and then reach out to them and potentially, uh, I don't know if subpoena is the right word, but you know, um, you, you, you may have to then open a local police case within that local jurisdiction. Um, I know that these things, there's, paper, that, there's paperwork involved. Currently, we haven't heard from the, the, the hacker. So uh, no negotiations. We haven't opened negotiations with them um, because we don't, obviously don't know who they are um, at this stage. So I don't know a hell of a lot. I'll probably catch up on some of that during the course of today. 
Okay, really, really useful insights. I think that was a big blind spot for myself and the community also um, kind of that element of, you know, the authorities being brought into this, contacting these centralized exchanges and just being able to pinpoint kind of when that happened, um, kind of between that, you know, 5, 10 a.m. Eastern and 5.30 a.m. Eastern window on March 9th. Those are two really key critical elements to this because we are dealing with centralized exchanges and all that. So that was important to do. Um, and it's important for this timeline. Now, this is a key moment in this timeline is at 5.31 a.m. This was the last major um, attack. So uh, the attacker transfers, well, it's not the attack, but it's the last major activity of the attacker. Um, at 5.31 a.m. Eastern on March 9th, the attacker transfers 650,000 HBAR to the exchange, an exchange. Um, the attacker has stolen tokens at this point valued at 600,000 US dollars. So this was the last time that the attacker performed an action with their account. And that was to send that 650,000 HBAR um, to an exchange, as you explained, um, as a backup plan, right? Go ahead, Justin. Um, they couldn't take any more, right? So the thing is, once Hashport had paused the tokens... Uh, they couldn't actually interact anymore because, you know, so like HTS tokens have this pause uh, functionality on them, right? So you can pause them. Very similar to how uh, like USDC, uh, I think USDT also has it, to be fair, uh, can actually pause your tokens. So once Hashport had paused that, even though the hacker was the owner of those LP pools, he or she could not withdraw from them because those tokens were paused, so therefore, as soon as Hashport paused those tokens, the only option this hacker had was to try to get away with what he's gotten, you know, and that's right. why he started or because he had he, he couldn't get any more from those particular tokens. Um, and the thing is, those tokens had the biggest depth, so therefore the most liquidity and therefore were the biggest kind of prize. So he could have theoretically exploited other smaller pools, but the pay the 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 the, the it wasn't worth it, right? So at that stage, that's why he started trying to get all of his money. That, that's my interpretation, at least, you know? Right. Okay, that makes sense. So um, that's another mechanism that was utilized was Hashport pausing tokens that were associated uh, with their contracts that were ported over from other networks. That was a, that was a major component um, of this. Major, major, major. And this also brings us to um, so we just spoke about that last transfer that the attacker was able to make at 5.31 a.m. Eastern on March 9th. Three minutes later at 5.34 a.m., uh, this is when you guys, according to the document you published, um, alerts Stater that they need to, quote, remove protocol owns liquidity from any decks um, on Hedera. So Maybe, Justin, if you could just um, unpack that moment, because Stater obviously being one of the um, biggest pieces of the TVL pie on the network, it was really important to loop them in. Um, so what was that moment like and, and what action did they take? Um, I haven't independently verified with them after everything. Uh, I, I, I should, uh, probably another action item for me today. Uh, really, you know, we didn't, at this stage, we had suspicions of what the hack was. We had very, very strong suspicions. That it was a pre-compile. 
but we had no independent verification. So it could have been it could have been something more uh, like less severe, or it could have been something more severe. So we were ex- trying to exercise caution throughout the ecosystem, um, and we just we wanted to give them a heads up that these things were ongoing, right? Um, you know, just like we wanted to give every project in the ecosystem a heads up to give them, you know, an ability to make a decision based upon their risk profile. Right. Okay. So the pit. So the picture I'm getting here is we're in this really important window of time of a war room being created, uh, just, you know, like in that, like around, you know, 4 a.m. And then we go through these different steps, you know, Hashport being folded in, uh, doing these pauses, shutting down the bridges, these last moves from the attacker, um, bringing you up to, you know, uh, you alerting Stater to now 5.50 a.m. Eastern on the 9th, you, uh, Pangolin, sorry, putting out a tweet alerting people of the fact that these pools have been frozen, um, and this is also at 5.54 a.m. Eastern. Heliswap publishing their tweet specifying an irregularity. So just an hour after your initial tweet alerting the community. And then it's at 6 a.m. that you then alert Stater that these may be issues with the pre-compile process for HTS tokens. So at 6 a.m. Stater is now made aware that this could be a scenario. So it, the picture this paints to me is it sounds like within this kind of two, two and a half hour window, you guys went from, we don't quite know what this could be and we don't quite understand the scope. We're going to let everybody know what's going on and we're going to try to get a handle on this to this could potentially be a bit of a bigger issue and, and kind of escalating that to Stater. Yeah, because you got to think at that stage, like we knew the hash four tokens were paused but no other HTS tokens were paused. Stata would have the next highest amount of liquidity after, you know, so USDC, USDT on the hash four tokens had the most liquidity, right? Uh, except for HBAR and HBARX, right? So theoretically, I mean, like, this is what confuses me too. Like why, like, why didn't the hacker go after like Saucer that had clearly the highest liquidity, right? Um, so this is why, like, we thought, okay, well, if we've closed this door to USDC, USDT for them, are they going to try open another door? Because at this stage, the exploit still existed, right? So the pre-compile exploit existed, but USDC, USDT, and all other hashboard tokens were no longer exploitable during them being, due to them being paused. So was the hacker going to kind of, you know, change tack and then start going after other HTS tokens? I mean, that, 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 Seems like the logical approach, um, but I think they got spoofed because they started making a few mistakes. Exactly, and this is and this brings us to kind of the next kind of chapter of events. After it's been realized the severity of what this could be, and the fact that the scope um, definitely lies beyond just this group of people in the war room, even though you guys are on the front lines trying to piece this together, this is when I think things start moving out into the periphery a little bit. And at 6.46 a.m., Saucer Swap sends out their first tweet regarding this, identifying this as an exploit. And um, this is a little, I think, a little different than the other tweets that were sent out from other participants. Saucer Swap says in this tweet, an ongoing exploit um, has hit the... (laughs) And, and, and just worth noting too, the little details, right? An ongoing exploit have hit the Hedera network. Obviously typos are happening because I imagine the pressure's high and things are moving really quickly. Um, so this was a tweet of Saucer Swap really kind of 
stressing the severity a little more of the situation. And also, just half an hour later at 7.13 a.m. Eastern on March 9th, uh, Hedera basically, or sorry, the, the HBAR Foundation just, just tweets out, same kind of thing. There's an irregularity. And this is as we start to see these things kind of move up the chain a little bit. And we start to see this this cascading process of communications happening. And within this chaos, looking at this timeline, I can start to see some of this collaboration and organization take place. And you can see things consistently being escalated and communicated in the background. Um, but this is where our knowledge of back-end communication starts to fade away because now really um, the task and action plan has been outlined. The exploit behind the scenes is is pretty much identified at this point. And now it's just pretty much heads down um, working on this to put a fix out to the mainnet. At 7.15 a.m., just minutes after the HBAR Foundation tweet, um, Stater alerts the community that their HBAR X contract has been paused. And at 9 a.m., just three hours later, the crypto press picks up on the news. So at 9 a.m. Eastern on March 9th, this is when uh, the the attack on the Hedera mainnet breaks out into the broader crypto ecosystem. We start to see influencers on Twitter and press start talking about this. Um, and now I think to the community, it becomes more evident what could actually be happening. And people start to start talking about this more and more. Um, they start forming groups um, and the conversation increases. Um, at 10.02 a.m. Eastern, Saucer Swap announces that they are not attacked on Twitter. At 10.15 a.m., Hellaswap and Pangolin, both of you guys, publish a tweet um, kind of specifying to the community that um, there's a lot of speculation and for folks to remain calm, to reassure people that folks are working together. So to me, that definitely coincided with the press getting a hold of this and people starting to talk about this more broadly. That must that like that moment must have been difficult to navigate because then the 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 whole playing field kind of shifts. We're no longer in our own little world in the own our own war room. Now the the story has kind of left your guys' control. Um, is that a moment or, or kind of shift in the situation that's memorable to you? Because to me, I saw those tweets come out and I was like, oh my God, I can kind of understand what they're going through right now. I mean, for me personally, like we don't care about the outside world in this. We care about our users. Like people can say what they need to say. You know, I mean, it's challenging going through it, right? Because what happens is some people use this as a political tool. Other people use this as like a bunch of other stuff. And there's like lots of accusations. Obviously, we're on the front line. So everyone thinks it's us. So we're going through huge reputational damage. But like, that's noise. Like, like you know, we can deal with PR and we can deal with all of that stuff. But like, users' funds is what like we care about. So like perhaps some of the team are dealing with a lot of that, you know, different teams or members are in different time zones. A lot of people, you know, Scruffy did a phenomenal job of like allaying people's fears and stuff like that. Like just really communicating, really making sure we're transparent, but like ultimately I, I'll say this again. I use as funds is all we care about and that the ecosystem doesn't suffer a setback that can't be rolled back, right? So again, containment, you know, protect the ecosystem. 
make sure our users are safe, you know, PR, all of those other kind of soft stuff that can come. You know, it's important to assure people and to communicate with them and be transparent with them. But like the broader world, to be honest, I don't give a shit. Like it's, it's about our users. That's, that's refreshing to hear. I think that um, for a lot of folks um, from the outside, from the other side, kind of seeing you guys um, lose control of that a little bit and having, again, that speculation, that sensationalism um, come at the community from outside the community was difficult. But I do think that you guys took the right approach and kind of like just it's just noise. Uh, we've got to go heads down. So this brings us to the next um, and probably the one of the most major elements of this, which was at 11.26 a.m. Eastern on March 9th, Hedera tweets out um, an echo of what all of you guys have been sending out to the community. And Hedera tweets out, the Hedera core team is actively investigating the smart contract irregularity that has been discovered. They are working directly with teams across the DeFi ecosystem to determine the cause and potential impact. Updates will be provided as they become available. So this, I think, is when a lot of folks um, in the ecosystem kind of had the, the, the air was kind of sucked out of the room a little bit. We were seeing dribs and drabs. In my mind, I was like, oh, you know, some of or one of these DEXs has an exploit and they're working together to help each other out or something was happening. But when Hedera tweets that out, I think the severity kind of hits me and also hit the community and that's when people started to really put their heads up and started to look around and want to come together and so uh, what I've done is I've brought up Don who um, later that day just a half hour after the Hedera tweet um, started a community Twitter spaces where I think man you had over you know hundreds of people tuned into that um, from the Hedera community talking about this. Um, and I know Justin was on that spaces as well at some point in real time, kind of working through what was happening. We had no idea what was yet to come. But, um, you know, Don, going back to just that half hour after that Hedera tweet, starting that spaces and kind of as a community member and also somebody in the NFT and DeFi ecosystem like what was your perspective on this kind of leading up to the spaces that you put on? I mean, it was an unprecedented hack of the HBAR ecosystem. There was a lot of confusion, a lot of not knowing what the source of it was. Initially, initially we thought that this had to do with a bridge exploit uh, and not actually something going on at the precompiler level. Uh, so that was kind of the initial impression. Uh, like my hypothesis on it was you had somebody minting forged bridge wrapped out or forged bridge tokens with no asset on the other side of that bridge and was draining liquidity pools that way. But it seems like they've taken a, like a deeper network attack on the precompiler and were able to move HTS tokens that didn't belong to them. So really wild stuff. Uh, but you know, Hedera reacted swiftly and Justin and the Pangolin team in particular, they were great. Justin himself was in that Twitter space. Um, he had team members, I know, uh, Scruffy Chuck uh, was not only in that space, what, but had followed up for, for hours and hours of spaces in the days that followed too. 
you know, absolutely representing Pangolin team in a great way, uh, keeping everybody informed. And, you know, hats off to you guys. You guys handled this as well as a team can. You guys stayed cool under pressure. And, uh, and at the end of the day, you went out of your way to make, make the community whole, which I think is incredibly admirable. Yeah, I, I have to agree 100%. And also, too, Don, with you kind of being like, I know that you're always kicking it in like the, the community discords and um, just really in the mix with everybody. Um, you know, at this time, just hours before Hedera would shut down proxy access to the main net, what would you say was kind of like the sentiment of the community? Like, where were people kind of freaking out? Were they kind of. Um, just standing by waiting for answers like what did you feel was kind of the mood or kind of the emotional state of the community um you know i think people were relatively cool uh like i know even some people exposed to the pangolin farms were just like yeah i'm just gonna keep field farming let's see what happens uh like <laughs> some people even stayed in prior to them uh them shutting the the access to those bridge tokens at least so that was interesting to see i i think it's kind of a mixed bag I think the crypto community say more broadly is a bit uh, desensitized these days after the FTX collapse. And I think just about everybody has been around in recent enough memory for that one. And then even, even say like uh, on a broader level, like, yes, this, this hack was bad in, but in the grand scheme of things, it's one of the smaller hacks that we've heard about. Uh, it's unfortunate it was Hedera's first, but, you know, compared to some of these big headline grabbers with, you know, nine and 10 figure hacks, this wasn't that, thank God. And then, you know, shortly after the network's back online and we have USDC losing its peg and it's like, holy shit. So, uh, but even, even that one, like, uh, I think most people even stayed cool during this USDC nonsense. Uh, and I think ultimately we're going to knock on wood. It look, the markets are behaving as though we think it's going to be fine. Yeah, I th- I think I have to agree with you on that. Like I was definitely surprised about kind of the rock steadiness of the community during this exploit, even when you know the community's in the dark and then coming out the other side. I was pretty um surprised for many many reasons. Um but this brings us to a really really key moment in this timeline. So um, just an hour after this, you know, mega spaces ends, um, we have 3.14 p.m. Eastern, March 9th. Um, the following um, status update is posted to the official Hedera status page um, as an investigating. So, again, at 3.14 p.m. Eastern, March 9th, um, Hedera posts... Out of an abundance of caution and safety for retail users, Hedera is turning off network proxies on mainnet, effectively making it inaccessible. Hedera Core will continue to work through the smart contract irregularity. Um, and this, I think, hit the community like a ton of bricks um, because four minutes after that, a tweet was sent out. Um, and at this time, Lime chain engineers began writing a reverse hack that would use the same method the hacker used to write the approvals to zero. 
Um, then the network was updated later on, of course. But this was a really key time. The proxy fence was put up. Um, essentially, everybody was disconnected from the main net and effectively the Hedera network uh, ground to a halt. Now, it's worth noting that the main net didn't go offline. It was still coming to, to consensus on various things. There was 30,000 transactions um, submitted to the mainnet and, and uh, processed through the mainnet during this time of the proxies being disabled. But largely, everybody, including Avery Dennison with Atma.io, were not access, accessing the mainnet. The Hedera mainnet was operating at zero transactions per second. So this is obviously a huge pivotal moment. And I mean, I'll just go to Justin real quick. Like, obviously, you guys knew um, that this was happening but I'm really curious because this, I think, is one of the most important questions of the community. I just wanted to touch on it while we're here in this timeline is, um, is are there any insights into how this decision was made or what protocol or criteria was met to um, shut down proxies for the mainnet? And again, um, completely cool if it's not something you can talk about. But as somebody in these war rooms on the front line, seeing these decisions get made, you know, what what was that like? What insights could you provide maybe around this critical moment? Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to provide um, some of the back channeling that was occurring. So obviously what was happening was there was technical war rooms. There were kind of like um, uh, communications rooms to... Uh, I, I can't comment on, on, on that in particular, unfortunately. Okay. Like, uh, what, 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 like, how did that decision process go? How did the goal, yeah. how did the council members, how did the nodes get? I, I, I don't have any visibility into that, unfortunately. Well, okay. That's okay. That's understood. And I mean, I think for good reason, the community is really curious. And, and, you know, now I'm sure you're, yourself, you're curious. I think that that is, um, just as we're in this moment, holding it here for a second, this decision, I think, really hit at the core of what governance is, what decentralization is, but also what is an enterprise-grade network. Um, there is a pattern and a trend of Hedera behaving differently than other networks since day one, since its inception, you know not having an ICO and instead doing a SAFT agreement. All of these different things that lead up to this moment in years past, Hedera has definitely veered off the well-worn path of Web3 and kind of done things against the grain in some fashion. And rightfully so, they come under some heat. And I think this is one of those decisions. And I think underneath this decision, as we, I, I hope, will discover was um, another case of a enterprise grade network with this high level of governance enacting some kind of internal emergency protocol um, that would be used for emergency kind of like DEFCON 5 situations like this. So I hope that we learn more about this. I'm not going to hang in this moment anymore. I don't want to speculate. I just want to stress that this is a really important thing for the community to learn about and hopefully that we'll get more information about. Um, so now, at 3.36 p.m. Eastern, um, or sorry, at 3.55 p.m. Um, Eastern, 
on March 9th. This is a really interesting moment because Hedera puts out an additional tweet that clarifies um, what the proxies are and when they were added and what they're for. And this is, again, a really important moment because it shows how quickly this was moving and some of the um, shortcomings we've seen in the communications from Hedera to the community. I think that this these things are so technical and so important and at a moment like this that's so kind of like focused. Um, sometimes without the right information and, and these kind of explain it like I'm five moments, people can start to spin out. And I think that's kind of what happened. When Hedera shut down access to the mainnet, what people heard was Hedera mainnet down, Hedera mainnet outage. Something happened out of Hedera's control. And Hedera then a half hour later had to explain, listen, this wasn't out of our control. This was the decision we made uh, as a precautionary measure. The mainnet's okay, yada, yada, yada. But that was definitely a communications um, challenge um, that I wanted to just highlight as a moment that I think um, caused some confusion. And it was clear that they had to clarify that. But it can't be understated that it, it's the proxies that were turned off. The mainnet remained on. Um, and that was definitely probably a communications challenge. And this is where I'll throw it back to Don now because um, at 4.49 p.m. Eastern on the 9th, uh, you booted up your next marathon three-hour Twitter community spaces. Now in this spaces, the mainnet is shut off. Um this is obviously a completely different um, situation now. And after this happens, is there a shift in community sentiment? Um, is there a is there a big reaction? Like, what did you notice? And also, maybe what were some key insights or moments from the the marathon spaces that you booted up? I think for the most part, people were pretty calm about it. There was definitely, I think. Uh a lot of strong opinions about it. Some people very much against having what's perceived as a network outage. Like, I mean, if you can't move your H bar around, that's, I mean, as close to an outage as it gets for a retail investor to say. Um, so I think that definitely had people on, had, had a number of people on edge. Um, but I think ultimately it was resolved fast roughly how long was the network out it, if it wasn't within 24 hours it must, wasn't much longer than 24 hours uh so that was resolved quickly but there certainly was uh you know a number of people concerned it was the it was the first of its kind for many people like we had only heard about this sort of thing on salada perhaps and, and now it's it's happened here perhaps for different reasons as you mentioned which i think is important to highlight but the network didn't go out or stop reaching consensus, but rather security precautions were taken to make the appropriate updates uh, to avoid, you know, further loss of, you know, potentially tens of billions of dollars worth of assets. Uh, so ultimately, I think most would agree that this was the right decision, uh, even if the optics of it uh, from an external perspective might not have been optimal. Uh, you know, I think the situation was handled as well as it could be. Yeah, I have to agree. And I mean, this is the, the, like this was such a critical window of time where so much happened. Um, and there was also a ton of other weird things that were happening, like 
this was also when 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 a network suffers these kinds of of attacks it's basically like a huge beacon out to every scammer and every you know um disingenuous uh individual that would want to take advantage of this you know with these replies to tweets like contact support and blah 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 and i saw that really ramp up um i'm like and to the point where um on our timeline here um at 6:58 p.m. eastern on the 9th march 9th hadera tweeted out kind of almost like um a, a bit of a reset they were like important there are no hadera support channels via twitter discord or otherwise any support offerings are a scam and should be ignored and then also they just provided some more details about the attack that we've already talked about and tried to kind of have people remain calm all those different types of things but at this time uh Justin maybe I'll quickly um uh throw this to you just cuz I know that the topic of scams and all these different types of things are big in the Hedera ecosystem right now as we grow but at this time when the when the network is crippled it's really ripe to have these types of things happen did you notice any uptick in these kinds of like activities because obviously um Hedera did and I was just curious if you guys saw that as well we saw some people in discord uh, unfortunately uh get caught out i i don't know the exact numbers but i i i can independently verify that at least one person on our discord unfortunately uh gave a scammer a seed phrase um you know we 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 try to reiterate this as much as possible we will never anyone from the pangolin team will never dm you and will never ever ask for a seed phrase um you know so and it's just unfortunate. Uh, again, I think the, 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 these people do prey on panic, uh, and 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 they rely on that for people to make mistakes. Um, so, yeah, we did notice an uptick, definitely. Yeah, I I, I saw that, and, and clearly it's evident. And then um, this is a, this is another uh, moment here was um, just fifteen minutes later at seven thirteen p.m. Eastern. Uh, this is when Hedera tweets out. Um, quote, for comfort around the security of account funds, please use hashscan.io to look up your account ID slash EVM address. The information displayed on the hash scan is the latest state from the mirror node. So there was um, certain hardware wallets like Descent hardware wallet, um, certain apps that users would be viewing that maybe weren't aware of what was going on um, or maybe were alarmed to see their wallets displaying a zero balance um, and this was obviously due to the fact that, you know, um, the main net access was shut off. So um, the wallets weren't able to display some of these things. So that was just kind of a key moment I just wanted to to, to quickly highlight there. Um, and, you know, again, shout out to Don at 8.17 p.m. Eastern. That, that community Twitter space has ended after three hours. So marathon there. And then we have a really key update at 11.41 p.m. Eastern on the 9th. Um, and it is an update on the Hedera status page um, that says the following. And I'll just read this out verbatim because this is important. Hedera says, Today, attackers exploited the smart contract service code of the Hedera mainnet to transfer Hedera token service tokens held by victims' accounts to their own account. The attacker targeted accounts used as liquidity pools at multiple DEXs they use Uniswap version 2 derived contract code, port it over to use the Hedera token service, including Pangolin, SaucerSwap, and HelloSwap. When the attackers move tokens obtained through these attacks, 
Over the Hashport Bridge, the bridge operators detected the activity and took swift action to disable it. The Hedera community, including Swirls Labs, the HFAR Foundation, Lime Chain, Pangolin, Saucer Swap, and HeliSwap teams, worked together to investigate the attack. To prevent the attacker from being able to steal more tokens, Hedera turned off mainnet proxies, which removed access to the mainnet. The team has identified the root cause of the issue and are working on the solution. Once the solution is ready, Hedera Council members will sign transactions to approve deployment of the code on mainnet to remove this vulnerability, at which point the mainnet proxies will be turned back on, allowing normal activity to resume. So obviously a huge moment, um, the issue being identified, that being published by Hedera. So what I'm, you know, Justin, I'll throw this to you. What, what I'm taking from this is behind the scenes, you guys have done a bunch of tests done a bunch of those kind of reverse attacks, reverse engineered a bunch of this stuff, and finally, I think, um, officially determined that, um, yes, it was, um, in fact, that that pre-compile um, attack um, and exactly what it was. So what was that moment like, right? Like it's it, Hedera just updated the, I don't know if you were awake at this time either, but Hedera had just updated folks of, of this, um, and that a solution was going to be put in place. And this was a sigh of relief from the community. I was just curious if you had any sense behind the scenes, like what that moment was like, what, what was the, what was the feeling behind the scenes? Yeah. Um, for us, it was, you know, obviously, um, gratitude that we'd identified it. Um, and that, you know, like we, we knew where it was and that we could work to fix it. Um, there was obviously a few, there was a lot of kind of uh, implications of that. There's obviously a patch that needs to go. Uh, there's the counter exploit, uh, which, you know, we were working with to um, to perform. So basically the counter exploit was using the same exploit that the attacker used in order to revoke. So, so, so this is the thing, right? So if we didn't run that counter exploit, then what would have happened would be that everyone in Pangolin would have to have migrated from the exploited pools and we would have had to migrate like, you know, over $5 million in liquidity. Um, so the counter exploit was obviously very essential. So that was key. But then also, you know, we had to, uh, it, we had to top those pools up. So like, you know, once we realized that obviously our, our, our suspicions had been confirmed, a lot of the real work began uh, for different parts of the, of, of our team, right? So initially, you know, the, 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 the engineering team, Obviously, we're on, and then now, okay, well, now we know that they've identified it. They're going to run a patch, and they're going to turn mainnet on. Unfortunately, you know, they, they, they couldn't give us a time when mainnet would be turned on, um, and we had to get a lot of stuff together, right, because all of our exploited pools had to be topped up, so we had to do all the calculations to see how much was drained. We had to calculate how much it is. We had to get funds together to top those pools up, right? So we had to then uh, – we obviously – so – from there on in, it was just madness, like, to be honest, like, it was just chaos. Right. So really, it was, um, I, you know, at this point, you know, from from the initial um, from the initial attack on the 8th at 12.06 p.m. Eastern to you guys being first alerted at 12.30 a.m. Eastern on the 9th um, to now, right, um, at 11.41 p.m., it's been identified. It's published out there. I definitely got the sense that behind the scenes, it felt like the mandate and the action plan was outlined and it was now go time. 
the 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 it's not like the clock wasn't ticking before now now it's almost like there was another clock that was ticking um so i feel like the pressure amped up um but at the same time there was a little bit of relief that it was like okay at least we understand what this what this is now we can we can get something together to fix it and this was evident to me because um just you know 20 30 minutes after this at 12:05 a.m. on March 10th Eastern um, this is when you publish your, I'll call it, you know, postmortem or your document of ongoing events, what had happened, screenshots of messages, all those different types of things. Um, and uh, it felt like the right time to do that. I think people kind of needed that. Also, too, just an hour later at 105 a.m. Eastern, Heliswap published there. Again, I'll call it's not technically a postmortem, but it was like, here's what's happened, here's what's going on, all these different types of things. It definitely felt like, um, just at this time, you finally understood what was happening and you could get this information out to the community. So um, I just wanted to take a quick pause here and, and just, you know, this document that you published, um, was there any kind of key tidbits or um, elements to this document that you just wanted to, to touch on? Um, because it was definitely insightful, especially just seeing kind of screenshots from internal communications that you provided from your team and stuff. It really helped. So um, was there anything kind of you wanted to unpack or touch on from that document you published? Um, for me, you know, really, you know, at like for a long time, like the team was running on a lack of sleep and, and being involved in fairly highly pressurized situations. So really, we just wanted, well, I personally just wanted to get something out to show people, you know, the process, you know, uh, often in these types of situations, uh, emotions get the best of people, um, you know, like, like, it's just natural, um, you know, when funds are at risk, and, and, and it's such an uncertain environment, those emotions can boil over and can cause like, kind of like very negative crowd based behavioral patterns. So I just wanted to make sure that you know, people understood what, what, what happened, that, you know, that it was addressed in a timely manner um, and the thought process for why we reacted in such a manner. Really, I just wanted to be as transparent as possible so that people could understand and hopefully reduce some of that misinformation because, you know, that misinformation starts flowing in and what happens is then that gets thrown back at developers and adds all this extra pressure um, and it kind of distracts from the, the immediate goals, which is obviously, you know, making users whole. So I just wanted to get it out. I wanted to kind of allay people's fears and I just wanted to kind of keep the misinformation to a minimum. Right. And, and that was really important because until this time, really what the community had to go off of was um, dribs and drabs of kind of official announcements and status updates from Hedera and kind of um, – you know, pre-coordinated messaging from various ecosystem participants. And that that nuance, that kind of connection to this um, was absent. And I think that document was a lifeline um, to the ecosystem and also what Heliswap published an hour later of here's something from other community members on the inside. Because I think that as you guys have your own project and stuff and the folks at Heliswap and all these other participants – you're also more community members as well than let's say a governing council member or something. It, it, there's, there's a little bit of that connection. So having that direct access to what was happening from um, arguably fellow community members, I think created a much needed bond 
um, that I think galvanized folks together a little more and kind of were like, okay, here's what's happening. It's moving forward because this all, this all happened really quickly. Um, this was just a cut, an hour or two of this information getting out there from Hedera, from you guys, from HeliSwap and starting to get a little bit of somewhat of a picture of what was happening and what we could expect. But again, this is when we enter another period of um, a little being a little bit in the dark after that. So um, at 10.05 a.m., right, nine hours later, Saucer Swap sent out a tweet notifying the community that although they were vulnerable, um, they were not attacked. So as you said, you know, it's kind of crazy that this attacker didn't go after Saucer Swap or some of these higher TVL um, entities first, uh, but they didn't. And so um, that clarification was provided. And this next instance, again, five hours later uh, after that, at 3.11 p.m. Eastern on March 10th, Christian Hasker from Swirls Labs um, tweets out um, a message. And I'll just read it because this, again, was another a critical moment in this. He tweets out, Hello, Hedera community. I really appreciate your patience and understanding as we work through a resolution to the exploit of the smart contract service code. We will be providing a deep dive account of what happened, how many funds were taken, and the fix. Stay tuned. So that was a long time coming, right? A a, a personal update from um, someone on the inside at Swirls who, again, Christian Hasker, I think, does have that connection with the community a little more. So I think that was important. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious because um, what was happening behind the scenes when Christian Hasker sent out that tweet? Because how that tweet felt to me was getting, o- getting over some kind of hump behind the scenes. That's what it felt like. It didn't feel like Christian Hasker or somebody from the, from the HBAR Foundation or Hedera would send out a message like that unless things were looking optimistic behind the scenes. That's what I got from it. When Christian sent out that tweet, Justin, what was what was it like behind the scenes after kind of hours dealing with the situation? Did you guys kind of have a breakthrough or felt a little more optimistic? I'm curious. Um, I mean, I think it's important to understand that everyone has kind of their own goals in these types of situations and their own set of priorities that they're looking at. Um, you know, obviously from Swirled Labs, you know, their, their, their priority was the patch. I, I didn't even see that tweet, to be honest. Um, if, 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 if my timelines, if I, if I think it happened, when I think it happened, we were, I woke up at about, I think it must have been, I don't know, 6 a.m. or so this side. And I, uh, actually it was a bit later, it was about 10 a.m. Um, and I got a call saying network's going live. Um, I don't know if that aligns well with this, but then basically we, we, we had to get like, and we had to do an incredible, incredible amount of work behind the scenes to get everything off the line. Uh, so yeah, my, my, my memories of it fuzzy of that. It's like, I woke up, I hadn't really had much sleep. I'm a bit like disorientated. And then we're like, oh yeah, we, you're going live. Um, so like that kind of like that, that was probably the most stressful I mean, the whole hack was stressful. Everything was stressful. But, like, once the network was turned on, that was probably one of the most stressful for me personally. And I think it's just due to um, being run down, lack of sleep, high-pressure situation, team very exhausted on the weekend. Um, so that was really tough, one, like, like to go through personally. 
Right. And, and I want to just hold this here for a minute. So that's really interesting because um, I, 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 it's obvious now thinking about it, but my brain didn't go there. But it's true that when you guys get the alert and, and that brings us up our timeline because um, six hours um, after um, that tweet from Christian Hasker, right? He sent that six hours prior. Um, and then later at 9.04 p.m. Eastern on the 10th, um, Hedera mainnet upgrade was completed. The pre-compile now rejects delegate calls made from contracts. So I didn't think about that, that things coming back online, yeah, that must have been so compounded and so stressful for everybody involved because it's like, it's like a make it or break it kind of moment. Well, you've got to understand this mass. There's like, so we, we want, there were the counter exploit was run, which reverted the operations um, or the, 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 the attackers uh, ownership. But the, the thing is we had a top of those pools. So the thing is now like we had a top of those pools. So we were kind of playing like a little bit of cat and mouse, right? So the thing is anyone, so, so this is the thing, right? So we had like this kind of binary, uh kind of options right so the, the one was no one interacts with our decks when mainnet goes live on those exploited pools and no developer calls sync which is a public method and then takes them out of balance and we have to then time the window so so look, we had to get funds right so we had to get hbar funds we had to get usdc we had to get usdt Okay, it is impossible to get HBAR because our HBAR was in five blocks. Okay, so five blocks turned off Hedera support. Then there was no way to get USDC, USDT, HTS because like Hashport was down. So we had to try to get all of these funds into Hedera before anyone else could go into our pools, call sync and withdraw their money. Because, you know, ultimately we, we, we the strategy was to make everyone whole. But if someone mistrusted that or an engineer or someone smart enough, and they called stink on those pools before we could get funds in and withdrew, they'd throw the whole balance out. So it was, it was a bit of like a, a game. So, so we had to then disable Hashpack on the, on the website to make, but, but again, we're, like we were given like, uh, like little, very little notice, right? So also you got to understand it's the weekend. Like we have people all over the world. Most of them were sleeping. We had to find like an engineer to turn off hashback so that people couldn't get in. We had to get these funds around. We had to coordinate with hashback. And this is after most of us hadn't slept for like any meaningful period and had gone through probably at that stage, 24 hours of very high intensity crisis management. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, 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 that was challenging. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like a journey, um, and so that's behind the scenes, and and I can, I completely can picture that. And again, just holding in this moment for a minute, right? Nine o four p.m. Eastern on March tenth, um, uh, the Hedera mainnet upgrade completed, which basically means that governing council members on the governing council. Um, signed a transaction, right? So actually utilized the, the Hedera protocol to um, come to consensus, pushing an up an update to the mainnet that contained this fix. Um, and the fixes, the pre-compile now rejects 
um, delegate calls, and we'll touch on that real quick in a minute. But I wanted to to throw it to Don real quick because at this critical moment, when the after you know almost if pretty much almost two days of the Hedera mainnet being inaccessible and now coming back online really with with no lead up or no warning right it was just kind of all of a sudden it's back online um and i think beforehand a lot a few folks in the community including myself saw a little um murmur of activity on the main net um but coming back online um just again being in the community um uh, being a part of conversations hanging out in discords um i'm really curious what was the sentiment the reaction um, the vibe of the community after the mainnet coming back online. You know, I, I think it was brought back online in an appropriate amount of time. It was not too long to say. I think there are people that had worried that what if this goes on for multiple days? Like what if it impacts, uh, you know, things that we have on the calendar? Like, for example, we have a mint uh, tomorrow and we're worried, is the network going to be down for that? Uh, so we're you know trying to plan around that, but I think they brought it up in a in a very swift period of time. People were stoked about it and uh, just happy to have that behind us. And again, you know, Pangolin has made is making everybody whole that was affected by the liquidity uh, grab. And while it's you know not fantastic for the network to have gone out at any point, like the we want to have a hundred percent uptime. Uh, even if, even in these situations, say, but you know, ultimately, I, I think this was navigated as well as it could be, and I think in I think the broader crypto community that maybe had just learned about Hedera for the first time after the exploit will will have moved past this in a couple of months. I think we'll be out of the woods from a from a FUD perspective. And I think the swiftness of the swiftness of the network coming back, I think, was also critical to uh, to the credibility of Hedera long term. Yeah, it's so important. Like you can get knocked down, but it's how you get back up. Um, and I think that that was something that resonated really well with with the community. Um, and so right now, again, just holding in this moment for a little bit, it's it's nine oh eight p.m. Eastern on March tenth. Hedera has just published the status update that the issue has been resolved and that the mainnet has been uh, has been re-given access. The proxies have been brought back online. Um, and uh, just 10 minutes later, or sorry, just, uh, geez, even less than 10 minutes later, six minutes later, um, at 9.14 p.m. Eastern on March 10th, Hedera publishes their, again, I'll call it the postmortem, which was a blog post that broke down um, the TLDR, the different attack things, all of the different things that we spoke about um, earlier in the spaces, um, much, much earlier in the spaces, <laughs> um, and that broke everything down. So that was a that was a 15 or, or a 10 minute window. And, and I just want to um, hang in this little zone for a minute, because as Justin highlighted, it was so chaotic, stressful, um, high pressure behind the scenes at this moment with the main net coming back online. But from a public perspective and, and seeing this finally brought together in a timeline, I think that this section here um, between 9 and 10 p.m. really shows the coordination. And you'll see it as I read this out, right? So 9.08 p.m., 
update resolved, pushed to the mainnet. 9.14 p.m., postmortem published from Hedera. 9.36 p.m., Saucer Swap publishes that they had no funds stolen. 9.45 p.m., HelloSwap announced the fund replenishment program. 9.47 p.m., Pangolin announces the fund replenishment program. So again, there's another chunk here of literally 10 minutes of a really highly coordinated messaging campaign of reassurance after the mainnet was brought online of um, three major DEXs, either confirming that no funds were stolen or that there was plans to replenish funds. And I mean, Justin, I just want to unpack that that little 10-minute window there. Um, that feels so highly coordinated. Was that um, a coordinated effort between Saucer Swap, HeliSwap, and Pangolin? I wish we could take credit. Um, I think there were kind of like, it was like informal coordination. It wouldn't be, oh, it would be much more decentralized in that coordination, right? Like it wasn't like, for example, a single entity that was like, I don't know, issuing commands. There were like numerous people were in contact. I know Oracle was running communications with numerous people. I was running communications, Abdullah, you know, for us, our whole team was running comms. So it wouldn't have been coordinated in like a traditional sense. It would have been, I mean, when that main it went live, it was just, you know, all better off. Everyone had to act pretty quickly. Yeah. So that that's that's that was just something I noticed of this tight little window of all these announcements. Um, it, it came off to me as really professional. Um, so I wanted to commend you guys on that. Um, that to me, that 10 minute window of those three major announcements from those decks is reassuring the community, I think was just really, um, you know, turned things around. I think gave people a lot of confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, that, that, that was what we wanted, right? We wanted, we yeah. wanted to make sure no one lost money and we wanted to reassure everyone that, you know, um, yeah. Okay. So this brings us to the next day. Maybe some folks have had a couple hours of sleep, grabbed a quick nap, um, depending on their time zone. And this brings us to 2.46 a.m. on March 11th, Eastern. Stater announces they've unpaused their contracts. So as we talked about earlier, Stater had paused uh, their contracts, and now they have been unpaused on March 11th. At 4.10 a.m. Eastern on March 11th, Stater announces they'll be holding an AMA. Right, so building that confidence, connecting the community. At 12.09 p.m. Eastern on March 11th, Hashport restores the bridge. And this is a really key moment because, Justin, as you were highlighting um, way earlier in the timeline that we were talking about, it was so critical for Hashport to close down that bridge to prevent the attacker from moving liquidity off of the Hedera network onto the Ethereum network. Um, re the reopening of that bridge... Um, do you have any insights into the process of, of that being done? Um, and also, too, if not, like, um, what was that moment like um, seeing that bridge be reopened? Yeah, that was very tightly coordinated. Um, that was like one of the most challenging pieces. Um, Hashport, shout out to that team. If anyone, yeah, they did, they, 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 yeah, fantastic! Like amazing. So, so much respect and, and 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 thank you and gratitude to them. So basically, what we had to do was we actually had to bridge stuff over before anyone could rebalance our pools. So you know we had to shut down the UI. So we removed hash uh, hash pack from our website. We then uh, hashboard actually opened it up for us. 
like we had like a special UI we could use so we could bridge things through. We then bridged that stuff through. We, did it. we then rebalanced our pools. We then got everything right, reactivated the UI, and then they went live. Well, they were live, but they didn't. They weren't like they 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 didn't publicly announce it to give us an, a window of opportunity to kind of perform this like stealth operation, um, which we managed to do, thank God. Right. Okay. And then so this brings us kind of to the end of this timeline of of kind of meaningful moments in this. So. Um, at 1.03 p.m. Eastern on March 11th, that's when you guys announced that you had completed the replenishment of these funds. Um, and at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on March 11th, Saucer Swap held their AMA, um, breaking some things down from there, and which was really um, insightful. I encourage folks, if you haven't had a chance, uh, go give that a listen as well. Um, and so this kind of brings us um, to the end of this timeline I have noticed something interesting today. I did send out a tweet um, that um, we did see some activity around 11 a.m. Eastern today. Um, So that would be about 10 hours ago um, on one of the attacker accounts. Um, Did did you see that, um, Justin? Yeah, yeah, we definitely saw that. We expected that behavior, to be perfectly honest. Um, we've got a bunch of, uh, well, different members on our team have, like, different ways of being alerted. Uh, some of them, like, you know, they'll just write, like, a bit of code that will alert them and there's any movement. We, we, we expected that to occur. Right, okay, so in this, so forward-looking, um, now that we, we're at the end of kind of this timeline, um, so forward-looking, we can expect... Um, activity to happen on uh, the accounts. Uh, I assume we would we would we still assume these are controlled by the attacker, um, but we'll, we'll probably see some activity on these accounts. We shouldn't be um, alarmed in any way or concerned that uh, we may see another um, exploit like this. It's been resolved. The mainnet's been upgraded. So really this would just kind of be the attacker kind of floundering a little bit around in the Hedera ecosystem trying to move some things around? Yeah, like, for example, there's hackers on Ethereum um, that, like, you can still view their wallets with those funds, right? So, um, you know, logically the attacker will try to get those funds off somehow and try to afford. That's the, I mean, that's the logical steps that we'd be expecting them to perform. Um but uh, the, the the patch was uh, the patch is being resolved, um, so there's no that particular vulnerability has been patched and is no longer available to any malicious actors. Okay, great. So I just wanted to take a quick moment here and just thank everybody so much for staying tuned in for this. This has been one of the longest Hashgraph news and rumors episodes. We're almost at the end of this, folks. Um, so I really appreciate everyone holding on and I really also appreciate Justin, um, CEO of Pangolin Dex for, um, sticking with it and breaking down this timeline. I think this is so helpful and insightful for the community to get a complete picture of what's happened within context. Um, and I do hope to publish a lot of this, um, very soon. So it'll be easier for people to kind of see this laid out. Um, I think it'll be helpful for a lot of people. I put a lot of time into researching this. So um, I think it was just so great to have you along this journey, Justin. But this brings us to kind of the most important part, the resolution, what actually was done. And so 
Um, what I want to do <clears throat> is um, I just want to, I mean, I could read verbatim what was on the, uh, the Hedera website um, with their kind of quote unquote postmortem. Um, and I encourage folks to go read that. They have a great technical explanation, but um, I wanted to give Justin maybe the opportunity um, to kind of um, put the cherry on top of this um, emotional roller coaster of a Sunday um, with what was the resolution to this? What was the bug fix? What was the hole that was that was plugged that will protect the mainnet moving forward? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously there was a patch that was run out. So uh, the pre-compile issue is identified, been patched. So there's no ability now for uh, any malicious actors to, uh, you know, to basically manipulate smart contracts and change ownerships. So that's been patched. Um, and then in terms of Pangolin, the only real, like all user, all exploited pools have been topped up. Um, so no funds have been lost through Pangolin. The only thing, uh, I guess, the, the, the worst that came out of it from us uh, as a platform was that some users withdrew their liquidity and lost their APRs because we've got a mechanism where the more loyal, the longer you stay in the pools, the higher APR you are. So some users have lost the APR. Um, in the grand scheme of things, I think uh, we're, we're all, I, I'm, I'm particularly proud of the Pangolin team. Um, I'm particularly proud of the Dera ecosystem. Uh, we met some incredible, incredible people that we didn't know before. Um, a lot of talent, a lot of collaboration, uh, a lot of people working together to solve a very hard problem, a very stressful problem. Um, yeah, like it's, 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 yeah, I'm filled with a lot of gratitude for the Dera ecosystem that we managed to contain it, that literally no one lost money. I mean, that's, that, that's a pretty amazing result after all of this. Amazing. Now this brings us to some questions. So um, as I mentioned earlier in the spaces, before we delve into all this, I asked the Hedera community a few days ago, what are the top questions on your mind um, in regards to this attack on the Hedera mainnet? And I actually asked this question to the community during an, a time in which the mainnet was inaccessible. So um, I got dozens of answers from lots and lots of people and probably I could maybe, I don't know, maybe close to 100. And I basically paid attention to questions that were asked over and over again. And I've compiled a list of the 10 questions that the Hedera community has. I want I, I've, I put them in the thread pinned to the top of the spaces, but I also wanted to just quickly touch on them in case, uh, Justin, you have any insights into them. But of course, the number one question on everyone's mind is, who is the attacker? Um, I don't think that that's clear. As you've said, I don't think that you guys know um, and we've seen potential um, ideas of who it could be, um, but it really isn't clear. Um, and I don't want to speculate here, um, but uh, what I would say is maybe Justin, I'll ask you on this. And again, um, no worries if you can't answer this, but just as the person you know on this spaces that was um, a part of these kind of internal discussions, like, do you have a sense of whether this attacker will be um, discovered um, that they will uh, that any relevant party will will get to know the identity of the attacker any justice will be done 
also too in kind of what maybe like in these different in these similar scenarios on other networks where this happens like what are the odds of that happening in your experience or um, any any helpful insights you could provide around this question i'll just throw that to you yes yeah, so there, there, there's a few ways so the centralized exchanges offboarding uh, that it, and the funding of the wallet that is obviously our first prize if we can get it. If there's KYC information, we can then obviously uh, track that first prize. And then the other is kind of social engineering. Um, so I can't remember. There's a gentleman on Twitter that has done a phenomenal job of uh, tracking the transactions on uh, that, that, that wallet. Um, and then, you know, that's how like the platypus hacker, as an example, was tracked down. Uh, that wallet, like in that in particular instance, that wallet was linked to like a ENS name service, which then kind of like blew their cover. So, you know, there are opportunities to track that wallet on chain, find these things, those, that takes time, a bit of on-chain detective work. There's also some interesting social clues um, that can be kind of explored. Uh, I, I don't like speculating on these types of things um, just because like I don't think Speculation. I think speculation encourages pitchfork behavior, um, which, you, you, you know, until we have proof, until we have something more uh, concrete, I think we should, yeah, yeah, not speculate. Yeah, I have to agree. And to be honest with folks listening, when I read through these 10 questions, some of them we literally just don't have answers to. The reason I want to read these questions is I do think it's important for the community to understand, like, what's on their minds, right? Like, um, these are the things that are on folks' minds. The, the other thing is, what is the current criteria to shut off proxy access to the Hedera mainnet and will it be changed, right? So um, how was the decision made to shut off proxy access? What were the protocols? All those different types of things. What are those currently? And then also, will that be changed and what will it be in the future? Um there are a few insights that you can you can derive from articles published by Hedera that break down the addition of the IP proxy nodes or it's not, the IP proxy, sorry, not nodes, just IP proxies, um, all those different things. So um, we don't have a complete picture of that. Um, nobody would be able to provide insight into that other than folks inside of Hedera Swirls. Um, so not 100% sure. Uh, but that's a big question on everybody's minds. The other is, how does Hedera make nodes more independent and accountable for code releases, right? A mainnet code release was published with this vulnerability and bug in it that was very severe, obviously. Um, so I think that is also a valid, a valid question that's on people's minds. Also, another question is, in the future... Will we face another situation where Hedera shuts off proxy access to the mainnet, right? Um, earlier on the show, um, Brandon, the HBAR bull, was talking about um, in the future when, let's say, there's hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars moving through these networks, are we still going to have something like this in place, even with the addition of community nodes and uh, permissionless nodes? Will there be this same function? Could it be enacted again in the future? Um, again, answering that requires speculation. There really isn't any uh, answer for that. Um, and just as we're going through these questions, Justin, um, I know that it, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's getting late over here. 
Um, we've been going for well over two hours, and I really appreciate you um, being a part of this. Um, I just want to respect your time um, and let you hop off when needed. But I wanted to give you an opportunity um, to maybe share some final thoughts uh, with the community, um, just in case you got to drop off um, the show. Um, just want to throw the mic over to you and maybe share your final thoughts on this whole thing and, and if there's anything that uh, a call to action you'd like to give to the community at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this stage, I'm trying not to uh, have too firm an opinion just because, you know, I think the whole team is pretty tired. We're all pretty run down. Um, so I think, you know, for us, it's it's w- w- the time for reflection is still to come. Um, I mean, I'd like to say thank you. I think like in a lot of instances and in a lot of other communities, I think there would have been a lot of more panic in in, in my experience. Uh, I think people were incredibly understanding and it was, yeah, so grateful uh, to be part of the community. Uh, unfortunate that this event occurred, but like as a lot of people have said, I think, you know, crypto is a trial by fire. Um, you know, going through these things, uh, it, it, it develops hardiness and strength. And I think, you know, we've we've seen that displayed by the broader Hedera community, and and it, it it bodes well for the future. Well, Justin, I really appreciate you coming up and uh, spending your time on the show. This is so helpful to the community. Um, having someone on the inside going through this timeline with me, I really really appreciate it. So, uh, feel free to hop up when you hop off when you need to, but uh, um, stick around as long as you'd like. Um, so. The other questions um, from the community, and again, I'll just continue highlighting these, um, is um, was Hedera surprised by this exploit and attack or were they expecting something like this? I mean, you could look at this um, in a few different ways, um, but it's it's a question that's in, it's in my mind and obviously in the community's minds. The other, the obvious question too that would be purely speculation to answer, but this that is on the community's mind is, what would have happened if mainnet proxies weren't shut off? What's the alternative? I think that's such a complex um, scenario. I don't think we're really going to be able to answer that. This is such a young network. Um, there isn't really a lot of precedent to go off of with a hash graph. Um, I think that other people can you know explore that in the community, but. Um, I don't really have a ton. I don't think there's really folks that can provide a ton of insight um, into that. I'm sure we'll start to see some of those kinds of discussions unfold. Um, but that's something that's on the community's mind. Something else is, were certain entities able to submit transactions to the mainnet while proxies were disabled? We know this because 30,000 transactions were submitted to the, the mainnet um, during this downtime. Also, during the time that the main net was down, we did see TPS uh, pick up in a few areas. So obviously, the main net was still operating normally, and certain entities were able to submit transactions to the network. Um, those entities, um, you know, we don't know who they are. Um, you know, I would assume it would probably be those involved with applying the fix and, te- and testing certain things on the main net. So. Um, that question is kind of answered. Um, are there plans for native Hedera smart contract service or alternatives? So obviously this goes into the debate happening right now. 
which I'm not really going to speak to. This this show and this episode is really just about surfacing this information for people to digest. There's a debate happening in the community of whether we use traditional smart contracts um, or that we go with an alternative. And obviously there are uh, all sorts of alternatives being um, suggested, such as smart node technology or um, there's a recent HIP that was published that um, talks about bundling the three core Hedera services together to provide um, that trustless execution. So there are alternatives native to the Hedera hash graph that are out there in the form of HIPs or an actual um, deployed infrastructure that's currently being used that aren't using Solidity or smart contracts. So there are alternatives. Some of these are already being used and these conversations have been happening for a long time. Obviously, this recent situation has heightened and elevated and intensified those conversations. But two things, it's really important those those conversations continue, but it's also really important that the goal is right now compromise. It's not going to be one or the other, clearly. It's going to require compromise, and compromise requires community. So I think that um, if we keep our eyes on the goal of, A, creating the best ecosystem we can create, the best environment for builders to build things, and also be able to attract new talent, ideas, energy into the ecosystem, however we do that, that's what needs to get done. And there are all sorts of options. So the answer to that question is yes, there are alternatives. The second last question is, would it be better to have projects build natively on Hedera and eliminate all these complications with bridging and smart contracts? Um, You know, that's again, really part of that debate, which is, do we do that and um, take away the ability for all this other liquidity from other networks and people easily able to kind of pivot their projects to Hedera. Um, That would be the downside. The upside, of course, would be um, arguably a more secure network more broadly. Um, But again, it would be a more secure network, a little more alone. So there are trade-offs either way, but both kind of uh, need to be explored. Uh, Don, I'll let you jump in real quick. Yeah, so right now there are no live DEXs that are Hedera native. Uh, over 90% of all development activity is in the blockchain space is on Solidity. Most developers coming to work on Hedera are not first-time blockchain developers with JavaScript experience. It's Solidity developers that are, will integrate JavaScript as they need to to interact with the Hedera network. Um, we, Although I do think we need a mix of both, I think... Uh, most of the developer inflow to Hedera is to make use of the EVM as a plate. We have some native Hedera developers that did cut their teeth in Hedera, say, before or without, say, having experience working on other blockchains, uh, perhaps. But at, at the end of the day, what's going to make the network grow the most is going to be to bring in as many high-quality developers uh, so certainly there's nothing to do with smart contracts that was responsible for this exploit. This was a Hedera-specific HTS interface with the Solidity uh, precompiler that is not a vulnerability on any other EVM. Like uh, uh, like the CEO of Pangolin was, had mentioned before, 
Uh, Uniswap V2 code is about as safe as it gets. Uh, some of the safest protocols uh, out there are, you know, are smart contracts that live on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, Curve, for example, incredibly safe. Uniswap, incredibly safe. One inch, incredibly safe. Uh, these aren't going to be exploited anytime soon. There's, you know, billions of dollars at stake if they were. Uh, there are teams, some of these teams are 30 plus engineers. Uh, and I actually had some, uh, some, some uh, solidity, solidity developers that I had invited, say, to the network or I had introduced Hedera to. And it DM me after reading some of the community sentiment around smart contracts. And they wanted me to stress, if ever given the opportunity, and this is a perfect forum for it, to stress that it's really, it's not the, it's not the smart contract, say, in any of these instances that's vulnerable. It's the quality of it. If you have, uh, you know, if somebody engineers a, a shitty car, it's going to break down. Uh, but likewise, you can have a master smart contract solidity engineer develop really safe code and have there be absolutely nothing that puts that code at some increased security risk to anything on the native layer. Like I think we've seen enough examples of code on the native layer not work as intended recently, say, as far as, let's say, launches of specific NFTs go. You've had native layer uh, solutions fail, whereas smart contract solutions uh, work uh, work perfectly. So I think it's like we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, I think it's good to have both. And something that I've seen a lot of Solidity engineers that are building on Hedera mention is that if you have some Hedera native smart contract layer, one that's going to introduce a brand new code base, it's not like you're going to be able to have these top protocols come over and start using that immediately. It would take months and months and months and a whole bunch of resources, an incredible pile of resources to get that service to work. And perhaps it will be, perhaps it will be a very useful one, but that doesn't mean we throw out the EVM. I don't think that's even on the table, uh, given that you would be, Hedera would be shooting itself in the foot uh, because they've sponsored so many uh, protocols to build on the EVM at this point uh, to the tunes of millions and tens of millions of dollars in grants. So the EVM layer and the smart contract layer isn't going away. Uh, I think it's good you could build additional things uh, in addition to that, but uh, really there's there's nothing that's inherently unsafe about smart contracts. Uh, they can actually be an incredibly useful tool and power a lot of the, the protocols that we know and love. NFT, for example, uh, they make great smart contracts. Alchemist Labs, great smart contracts. And a number of platforms that are uh, that are coming from NFT lending to DEXs to aggregators like Lehman Swap, all of which, you know, going through like Lehman Swap, for example, going under a CERTIC audit, very expensive audit, very thorough audit. Um, and I think it's really the quality of the engineers and the quality of the code review that defines the safety of the protocol. And to just say smart contracts bad, EVM bad is yeah, definitely throwing the baby out with the bathwater. No, I think those are really important points because um, this is a really nuanced conversation, right? When we talk about, um, you know, the, the, the freshly sparked debate surrounding this, um, I think it is definitely 
one that should be nuanced, right? Because there's so many different perspectives to look at it from. Um, and there's so many different considerations to make. Um, so I definitely think that the key here is is compromise and understanding that um, we have to look at outside perspectives. And no matter like no matter how we do it, this network has to exist not on an island, but as a part of the broader crypto ecosystem. Um, it's it's really important. So um, I think uh, that that's hopefully going to be a productive discussion going forward for sure. Um, and also too, you know, just on the back of that, another community question is what does the future of Solidity and the EVM look like more broadly? Also, it's, you know, that kind of stuff is always developing, always moving. Um, so I think that as it, it, this is a really interesting case because the, you know, as we see these DLTs that, that, you know, aren't native, you know, have to have this functionality built on top of them. It, it's where we start to see all these different, um, types of attacks and exploits happen that are really interesting because it kind of further, it, it's the, it's the, it, it's smart contracts and the EVM and solidity moving through the ecosystem onto these other networks. How is how is it going to be impacted and changed to serve these other protocols and stuff? It's a really interesting conversation forward looking. But those are kind of the 10 questions that are on the community's mind. Um, and as we kind of approach the landing of the spaces, um, Don, I just wanted to give you a moment uh, before I put you back down to listeners. Um, if you had anything you wanted to mention to the community or, um, you know, any key insights that you wanted to share um, about the attack on the Hedera mainnet um, that maybe we didn't get to touch on. And also just, I really appreciate you taking your time uh, and hopping up here and representing the community. So I'll throw the mic over to you. Thank you, Brandon. And by the way, you could tell that you really, really researched this quite thoroughly. So really a round of applause to you for that. Uh, absolutely amazing work. And I think this is an important space. Um, I think the, the important thing is, is the network was brought back online quickly. Uh, you know, right now it's running at full capacity, nothing, no issues to worry about there. All users were made whole or are going to be made whole. The size of the exploit was comparatively modest. So it's not like anybody lost their shirt. Uh, and even looking at, say, a token price perspective, you know, we've not, uh, I don't actually think there was any big sell off of HBAR as a result of this. And even after the, the network was back, brought back online, it's not like people were rushing to sell or short their tokens. So very, very positive. I think the network handed, handled this well. I think that Pangolin uh, handled, uh, handled this very, very well. Other DEXs uh, as well. But I think Pangolin has done the best job of being front and center uh, in these spaces, uh, at least that I've seen, not to... Uh, not to uh, Discount uh, HeliSwap. I think they've also been quite active in some of these spaces too. Uh, so just applaud, round of applause to uh, to those DEXs that really worked around the clock and the Hedera core team that I think made the right decision. Uh, despite you know some of the in a situation like this, you're always going to have people questioning like was it the right decision to close down the network? And I think given the information that they had. They did the right thing, and I think the network will grow a lot from this and be even more secure 
and and thank God that nobody was you know badly financially hurt by this. Well, Don, thank you so much uh, for hopping up. And uh, you, real quick, I mean, you mentioned you had a um, a mint coming up. I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a chance to let people know what's going on. I, I appreciate that. So, Gangsters Paradise is minting on the Alchemist Labs Launchpad for whitelist holders uh, Monday tomorrow at one p.m. Eastern. Uh, the public mint will open Tuesday at one p.m. Eastern. Uh, we've basically closed the whitelist now, but if you jump in our Discord, we might be able to uh, to make one or two spots available if some last people might be interested in that. Uh, but that's not the, the core focus of the space. But I, I really do appreciate you letting me uh, shout out the mint. Uh, very kind of you. Hey, no problem. I mean, um, you know, and, and again, another huge thanks to uh, to Don for uh, for hopping up here. It, I, it was really important for me to have a uh, someone really representing the community's voice up here. Um, and yeah, I mean, here's the bottom line here. This show has been two and a half hours long. And if you're going to be a guest on this show and hang out the entire time, I talk a lot. And so I really appreciate the pa- the patience and the knowledge and the insights and everything like that. So if someone needs to plug something and make people aware of something cool going on, you know, God forbid we share a little good news, right? So all good here. Um, now, I just wanted to rattle off a, a couple extra questions before we kind of wrap up the spaces because there was a couple other questions that popped up um, across the community um, today after kind of, I guess, people getting a good night's sleep, rethinking about this. And these are also really insightful questions. And we do have an answer or two to some of these. And some of these are really important. And this is new information. So the first one is, what happens with a more experienced hacker? And this is not really one we have an answer for yet. And as Justin, CEO of Pangolin, said earlier on the spaces, this was a relatively inexperienced hacker, it appears, making all sorts of different mistakes. So what does this look like in the future with a, with a hack of this scale with an experienced hacker? Um, that's something that we don't know about. Will it happen? Who knows? Um, but that would this this was not a, a kind of cutting edge um, attacker, right? That's one thing worth knowing. Also, too, was the attacker a part of our ecosystem, right? Were they within the Hadera ecosystem, or they or were they outside of it? Was it something like Justin was saying, um, some kind of uh, group in another country, or that, that that wasn't part of the ecosystem, or something like that? Who knows? Um, but that's one question. A question we do have an answer to that is really, really important. Um, What happened to backlogged transactions? So what this is about is when the mainnet was shut off, immediately so many people's minds went to Avery Dennison, Atma.io, right? The golden goose driving hundreds and hundreds of transactions per second on the mainnet. What's going on with that, right? TPS is at zero. Where are those at? What's going on? Um, so basically this is a strength of the Hedera network when the network falls out of, you know, when access to the main net is, is, uh, disabled, right. And maybe the main net is functioning normally. These use cases can still with their own internal tooling, um, record transactions and still perform, um, the actions that they would need to do using Hedera Hashgraph. 
effectively you could say operating as their own shard in a weird way like just they're you know for example hypothetically atma io uh, is just over there just doing their thing uh backlogging all these transactions when the main net becomes accessible those transactions can then be sent to the main net um, with fair ordering so it does show a strength of the network that um, there can be an air-gapped quote-unquote outage of the network um, that can then be backlogged and 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 then reconciled with fair ordering on the main net, which is really important um, to note. And there was an answer to this also provided by um, Greg Scullard from Swirls Labs um, that he clarified that Avery Dennison has their own internal transaction queuing and throttling system. And this was really insightful. Have you ever wondered why the transactions from Avery Dennison at MyIO are so consistent? Almost 50 million transactions per day to the decimal, right? Very consistent, uh, very smooth. So this internal system that they have is an internal throttling system that keeps these transactions consistent. Um, soon after the mainnet was accessible again, the queue started to push to Hedera again. So what this means is what happened is a bit different than what we expected. What we expected was a huge surge in backlog transactions from Atma.io to hit the mainnet all at once. But as it turns out, Avery Dennison's internal tooling um, kind of throttles these on their end and, and sends a steady stream to the mainnet. So in fact, these backlog transactions um, are making their way to the mainnet, but in the same fashion um, that regular transactions would flow from this use case, which is really interesting. I didn't know that, but that's a really important thing to note. And also some last questions. Uh, what will you know what will happen um, to these stolen funds? right? Funds were stolen. What's going what's gonna to happen with those? We don't know. Um, does the attacker still control the wallet? As we spoke with Justin earlier, CEO of Pangolin Dex, we can't expect to see activity on these attacker accounts. Um, they very, the attacker very well may have control over those accounts. Who knows? Um, will the accounts be, um, will, will control of the accounts be assumed by someone else when some kind of action is taken? Who knows? That's pure speculation, but... Um, as we can tell from uh, just 10 hours ago on the mainnet, yes, um, the attacker still has or somebody still has access to the account as transactions were made. Um, were, the any, were there any other wallets involved, right? There are the wallets listed in the Hedera postmortem. Um, are there other wallets involved? As a community member, you can go on a network explorer. You can go down a rabbit hole and go on a detective journey. Um, maybe there maybe there were. Who knows? Um, and then the last one is, where did the funds come from for replenishing liquidity pools? As we heard from Justin, those were sourced from off-chain and brought in via Hashport um, for those different types of things. Um, and those are really the questions. So this was quite the show. And this main portion of it for our special report, we had the help of the HBAR bull Justin, CEO of Pangolin Dex, um, and Don, community. I'll say community legend, why not? And we really pieced together the key players, a glossary of the different things that you need to know about this attack of different elements, 
um, a breakdown of kind of what happened and then uh, a more detailed breakdown of what the bug was and what the attack was. Then we went into a very detailed timeline um, to the minute um, in the Eastern time zone, day by day, minute by minute of all of the different actions that took place. Um, items on this timeline were sourced uh, from publicly available content, postmortems, announcements, public conversations, and transactions on the Hedera mainnet. Um, and then we reviewed questions from the community. The goal of this show, of this week's show, was um, not to speculate, not to go down any rabbit holes. Um, it was to take all of the information that was out there around this exploit um, and bring it all together into a complete picture and timeline and go through that together with somebody, Justin, CEO of Pangolin Dex, that was on the front lines that could help us um, discover insights in certain parts as his memory was jogged and also provide any corrections or additional items for the timeline as kind of our guide through through it. And it was kind of exciting too because when I um, came to Justin wanting to have him on the show, um, he had no clue that we were going to be walking through this timeline. He knew um, as soon as I started the show. So I, so this was completely off the cuff. I don't do any interviews with pre-questions or pre-interviews or anything like that. Anyone who comes on this show um, is, <laughs> they're, they're coming in hot and it's live. So um, I really, uh, again, just wanted to say, you know, massive respect to Justin at Pangolin Dex and also all of the other um, folks involved that deserve another mention, right? Hedera, of course, Swirls Labs, the HBAR Foundation, Hashport, Stator Labs, Pangolin, Saucer Swap, Heliswap, Lime Chain, and all the other you know participants, ecosystem folks, community members, everybody that kind of came together to figure out what the heck was going on. Now, some other things that you should know today, and I'm not going to, I, you know, I'm going to get you guys out of this spaces as soon as possible because it's been too long, and at this point. Um, you know, there, there are other things that happened this week, but they're <laughs> they kind of pale in comparison. So, of course, um, Hedera passed 5 billion transactions on the main net on the 8th. Um, there is a new HIP for Hedera native smart contracts um, that has entered discussions. Um, there is a breadcrumb, a rumor um, of... Um, Possibly a use case from Mars Wrigley, right? The folks that do Starburst, leveraging the Hedera mainnet to mint tokens and all sorts of different fun things for, I guess it looks like some kind of scavenger hunt with coordinates or something. Who knows? Something's going on. Um, Mars and Wrigley's and everything like that. There's stuff on the mainnet right now um, from those folks. And uh, it's a worth a reminder that Mars Wrigley is the fourth largest privately held company in the United States. Um, so this is a honker. And we know it's possibly a Hedera use case because, uh, excuse me, my God, I've been talking too long. Yes, I did. I did do a little burp. It's been, it's been an evening, folks. Um, Christian Hasker of Swirls Labs commented on this breadcrumb with the uh, with the quiet emoji, right? The shh emoji. Um, so clearly 
it's not no comment. It's just shh. So <laughs> Starburst stuff is on the main net. There's NFTs coming on. So we're, we're going to keep our eyes on that. We're continuing to watch Fresh Supply Co. and their journey to the main net. I had David, the CEO of FSCO, on the show a couple episodes ago to talk about their use case, bringing um, writing MasterCard transactions to the Hedera mainnet for um, food supply chain systems and all those different things. You can go back and listen to that episode for details. Obviously, their announcement um, is maybe changed a little bit with the recent uh, attack on the Hedera mainnet, but we're keeping our eye on them. Um, leading Hedera wallet, Hashpack app launches Secure Trade version 2 with the new version 7 of their wallet with a bunch of other features. Um, I had uh, Tyler from Hashpack on the show last week, the week before. Can't recall. It was a great episode. We chat. I think it was last week. Yeah, we chatted about Secure Trade version two, all the different things you can do with it. Um, they did also recently put an update up in their Discord about some fixes they'll be pushing based off of feedback from the community. Check that out. DSign launches on Hedera from Docstribute. Um, and Docstribute's digital timestamp secures document contents and signature, creating a single source of final contract while recording an audit trail. Basically, um, this is leveraging the Hedera network um, for the signing of documents. It's something that we've been following for quite a while, and it's now live um, on the mainnet. The full story is available on the thread pinned to the top of the spaces. Um, I want to make sure everyone can get uh, off the spaces in time, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. Another HIP update, um, HIP 657 for mutable metadata fields for dynamic NFTs was accepted. Dynamic NFTs are coming to Hedera. As far as I'm concerned, the governing council has voted and passed this HIP, championed by Patches, CEO of Turtle Moon Command Center, shout out. Um, really great, really big. This means that dynamic NFTs are coming to Hedera, and I definitely encourage people to learn more about that. If you're if you're running a project, dynamic NFTs could be something really cool for your community. Um, also, too, we talked about previously, Hedera ranks number thirty five in the list in Forbes list of America's best startup employers. Some breadcrumbs left from the recent governing council minutes show that we could see some new use cases arriving in uh, the following sectors. Um, bu -bu 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 -bu. Let me see. So it says in the meeting minutes, uh, some highlighted sections here. Corpcom attendance continues to be high, reflecting strong interest in use cases being developed. Um, recent use case, uh, use case presentations included um, service now, um, so all these different things. Also, to um, some Hedera improvement proposal stuff. So obviously, things are moving in regards to use cases. But the key thing here is, upcoming Corpcom meetings are scheduled to include presentations on reducing carbon emissions, capturing flare to produce cleaner power, digital identity, maritime supply chains, and fashion and retail. So. Some really interesting verticals uh, where you, we could start to see use cases spring up on the Hedera mainnet. Um, IRP, um, Integrated Real-Time Protocol, is a use case that could be leveraging the Hedera network 
um, to potentially bring insane transaction numbers to Hedera. Basically, this use case would tokenize every frame of a video broadcast to a television so you could ensure um, that what you're watching is real, right? In this age of um, artificial intelligence and deep fakes, um, this type of technology of literally, again, tokenizing every single frame of a broadcast. How many transactions would that be of multiple broadcasts? For one broadcast, it would be anywhere from 30 to 60 per second, right? There's 60 frames a second. So this is a use case that purports to be doing that, and they seem to be um, aligning with Hedera. So that's one to watch. The info's in the thread, pins the top of the spaces. Um, and our last item is uh, Envision Blockchain and their Guardian, um, uh, the, the Hedera Guardian, which is a piece of infrastructure used by many ESG and carbon offset use cases such as Timeless and Dovu. Um, on, uh, they 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 basically uh, up, provided an update saying um, they'll be entering maintenance on Tuesday, March seventh. Um, there was a response from community member at Decapsule um, saying, "Let's hope this upgrade ramps up usage." And Envision Blockchain responds. Just maintenance, not an upgrade, but just wait. This month's upgrade will be massive. So um, that was published on the 7th, obviously, before the attack on the Hedera mainnet. So maybe that would impact that timeline. Who knows? But that's the update from Envision Blockchain in regards to the Guardian. Wow. So another week behind us and another week ahead a huge shout out to everyone listening live on Twitter Spaces right now, and an extra shout out to everyone listening to the recording on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you may find yourself. If you have a moment, give the show a rating and review on your favorite platform. It does help a lot. Um, and I also want to thank again the guests, Justin, CEO of Pangolin Dex, Don, community legend, and Brandon, the HBAR Bull, for helping me break down this special report on the recent attack on the Hedera mainnet. Um, and this brings us to kind of my closing thoughts on this. And I think it comes down to the name of the spaces. Better now than later? I think going into the spaces, it was really a question, right? Is now... Obviously, it was a matter of time before something like this happened on Hedera, as we talked about. And I've heard the notion floated that it's better it happened now than later. And I always wondered, you know, is that true? And I think after going through this very detailed timeline of the attack and talking to folks on the inside and community members and also just having some time to digest everything and do some deep research. I think that it is better it happened now than later. Because this level of coordination wouldn't be possible on a more mature network, to be honest. When we talk about um, community nodes and permissionless nodes and all sorts of new DeFi protocols and all these different things cropping up. Um, the, the speed and co collaboration that happened was really incredible. And I think that a le this lesson learned now, I think 
will put us in a much better position um, moving forward. And I think that enterprises, potential governing council members, and also potential use cases will look at this situation and how it was handled and potentially have a new perspective on what a DLT could be and what is an enterprise-grade DLT. Because the long short of it is, yes, of course, um, retail users were unable to use the mainnet for about 41 hours. Also, TVL on the mainnet was protected and nobody lost any money. So there are definitely nuances and different framing and ways to look at this. But I do think in general terms, you can take this as um, the best scenario we could think of. I can't come up with a better scenario based off of what I understand now. Um, but there are other scenarios. There are other ways that th this could have been handled. Um, but it's hard to imagine a scenario that would end up with these results. And again, just touching on what Don was saying, the price of HBAR didn't take a huge dip after the mainnet came online. It wasn't the case that folks took all their HBAR and dumped it through the lack of confidence of the network. Um, the community's money is literally where their mouth is. So that's something that's worth keeping in mind as well. Um, and as I said, we are now in a new era of the Hedera ecosystem. Um, and it's funny because I just said that at the beginning or at the end of last year roundabout. I did feel that way as well. And also when the step function happened. But I truly think that I want to rewrite my past statements and say definitively this is the moment. Not the step function. This is the moment when Hedera starts a new era of the network and ends an old era of the network. Um I just wanted to kind of put that out there. That's how I feel about this. I feel I'm on a, I'm, I'm in a, a, it's a different vibe. That's the best way I can say it. Um, and, you know, with that, thank you for tuning into Hashgraph Enthusiasts News and Rumors, episode 68, Better Now Than Later, a special report. Uh, this is live on Twitter Spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, it's not usually this long, just a note. It's not usually this long. Um, and it's made available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, every Monday. Get all the info you need about the show and listen to past episodes on itsbrandond.com slash hbar. Make sure to join the Hashgraph Enthusiast Twitter community to share your insights, ask questions, and invite new friends. That link is in the thread pins at the top of the spaces. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, feel free to send an HBAR donation to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. I appreciate everyone tuning in, and I'll see you live on Twitter Spaces next Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. For everyone listening now, I'm going to keep the spaces open for a few more moments. If you see somebody that you don't recognize, click their profile, give them a follow, shoot them a message, say what's up. You obviously have something in common. We're all kind of grooving on Hedera. Um, if you see someone that you do know that maybe you haven't, you know, reached out to in a bit or haven't, you know, connected with in a while, 
uh, find their face listening to the spaces now. You know, say hello, ask them what's up, what's new. You know, there's, there's people are always up to something new. That's the whole point of these. At the end of the day, is to stay connected um, and uh, keep that rolling. Because as we've learned, the more connected we are, the quicker we can overcome challenges like this. So, with that, hello future, goodbye past.